Happy Sunday, folks, and welcome to the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the iconic film Robocop. I'm your host, Kevin. Today I'm joined by the special guests, well, three special guests from Robodoc and <coughs> Matthew Mint and J Mack. Thanks for that lovely intro. Cheers. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's Sunday night, and I'm actually so looking forward to this. I'm going to quit. I'll play as a quick trailer in a sec. But we have three special guests from the team. That, by the way, and if you look at the the credit section of each episode, you'll see that our, an array of so many talented people work together to make this documentary happen. But we have the A team, <laughs> maybe minus a few, because I see a lot of folk. Um, this, these are the guys here that are behind Robodoc. Gary Smart, who is no stranger to the podcast. Chris Griffiths, who is, again, I see this guy's work all the way through the Dead Mouse stuff, along with Eastwood Allen. Um, and that fella right at the end, I know his name's Adam, but he's yet to be on, so we'll get him at a later date. Mm-hmm. Um, hi, guys. We recently, just the same as everybody else, watched Robodoc for the first time. And, of course, it's something that we've all grown up. I've actually still got... I bring this guy out all the time. Huh? <laughs> here he comes. And, uh, here he, here he is. He literally, he literally still works. Is he still working? Yep, he is actually. <laughs> is, no. I think that's Peter Weller. That must be Peter Weller's voice, right? I would Has doubt it. <laughs> maybe the guy for Robocop 3. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, don't but, dish um, Robocop 3. It's better than Terminator 3. <laughs> Another point. There's literally a point where I was like, oh yeah, because um, the last... The last documentary i watched was pennywise a story of it which i really really enjoyed and then i seen the trailer which i'm about to play in a second and there was one moment i don't know if it's for yourselves as a uh, robocop fans but there was this moment for me i was like motherfucker i need to get this on the tv right that very moment very well executed as well where he goes an octave lower and he's like dead or alive you're coming with me <laughs> that's an awesome nah. impression you'd be working on that Thanks, man I- <laughs> but did you, did you guys get the exact same feeling from from just that very part of the trailer now he's got a very distinctive voice and it's just it's cool to hear his voice with like whenever you hear it you go there's robocop doesn't matter right, what he's absolutely. what he's in it's like he showed up in dexter i was like hey it's robocop um yep. and then just so. like in a just like in jumanji where they all get sucked into the the heart of the game i was sucked into robodoc i'm going to play the trailer and then we're going to get the guys on so ladies and gentlemen robo All right, are you ready? Are you rolling? Test, test, test. Dead or alive? You are coming with me. I'm thrilled to be aboard the RoboCop documentary, RoboDoc. Your move, Creed. Man, we were making something. That is RoboCop. Damn, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chris, Gary, and Eastwood to the Jibber Jabber podcast. Here, I'm going to bring you up here, Eastwood. Guys, I mean, I don't think anything I can say can really do it justice, but we had an absolute blast watching RoboDoc. How's, how's the reception been for you guys since it, since it released? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, just been fantastic. I signed the run after seven years of, of obviously a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. For mm-hmm. it to finally be out there now, and people, you know, I know obviously it's only in the states at the moment. But it's out here on October second. Mm-hmm. People finally to be seen and actually realizing why it's taking so long. And actually, he sort of always used to say to me, "When they see it, they'll stop moaning." And it's like <laughs> it's actually true. People, are, people are going, 
wow, this is brilliant. And some of the comments we've been getting about, you know, getting back being egotistical, this is the best documentary they've ever seen on mm. a film. I think that's just amazing for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the thing that kind of stri- strikes me about it is, I mean, it's it's obviously very long. Like you said a second ago off air, it's, it's about five hours once you put it all together. And it would be easy to get bored watching something that long about one subject, but you just don't. Um, there's there's a bit of a, a kind of cancer within the documentaries that you see on Netflix and stuff. You've got these 10-part series that just look, looking into, say, I don't know, the the Night Stalker, right? Mm. And you start watching it, and it, it talks for 20 minutes about the childhood of the detective that investigated it. I'm like, I don't yeah. give a shit. But everything, <laughs> every, everything in RoboDoc should be there. It's all stuff yeah. that is really interesting, and and I, I loved it, man. I was I was yeah. going to try and joke and say I thought it was crap, but I can't do it. Shout, <laughs> <laughs> boring. We were obviously conscious of that when we were putting it together. We knew with it being four and a bit hours long, it's like okay, we need to have those gear shifts. We know we don't want people um, getting bored or get, you know finding areas of it tedious. So we're conscious of um, yeah these peaks and valleys, and obviously the soundtrack um, being synthwave, and we've got this orchestral <laughs> score too with uh, Sean Schaefer Hennessy. That's that's incredible. That's, that's really sort of. Um, yeah, beautiful and elegant, and then the synthwave does allow for those gear changes. And um, yeah, as Gary said, I'm not going to talk as much as uh, as much as these other podcast guys. By the way, that's why I wasn't I wasn't answering at the start. I thought Chris, you can go because last time I ended up doing the, not most of the talking. But um, the reception has been incredible. I think for us as fans that have obviously been able in this bubble to watch it and see it grow over time. Now that people are spotting things that we've put in there and saying, "Oh, I love that bit," and I, I didn't know that, and I was a super fan, and this this has um, shed a light on this area of special effects or the sound effects or Robocop's voice mm. and all the, all the work that went into that. Like we're going, yes, we we were so like just just wait, guys, wait until it's out there, and then you'll hopefully get a kick out of it. And we're seeing people enjoy it now, so. It's awesome. Mm. It's still a bit surreal, isn't it? It is. It's it's a bit dreamlike. The fact that people are, are commenting on it is it's it's awesome. It's, it's, well, it's, it's yeah, bad that it almost feels a bit like you know, kind of want to go. Ha, told you so. Yeah. You know, because we've watched all these bits, seen what Eastwood's put together in the edit, knew what we had. I mean, I God knows, I felt really sick after a while of talking about. Robodoc in the future tense. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Always thinking like it's going to be next year. It's going to be next week. It's going to be next <laughs> month. And doing that for seven years was like, uh. but now we're here. That I'm, you know, as as Gary had said, what Eastwood had said. It's great to, you know, we for all we know, people would have said it's too much, it's too heavy, it's we don't need to know this much about film. But yeah, I feel like everyone's really kind of gravitated. I think some of the positive feedback I've really enjoyed is uh, i think one comment i heard was saying like uh the filmmakers of this documentary really try and go out their way to show that robocop's the greatest film ever and i'm starting to believe that and i'm like yes this <laughs> one, all my whole life to all my yeah. friends a shit, all my mum and dad and now finally it's starting to sort of showcase that yeah i thought it was masterfully edited as well i thought like the for me there wasn't a point where i got like oh you know, I mean, there's some, and it, that can happen in movies. It can happen in your favorite movie where you're like, oh, I kind of fast forward that bit, but I, I didn't feel that at all with any of it, especially towards the end where he started talking about Robocop becoming, you know, more human when he starts to then take the mask off. And it was great as well to see it's almost like a, a reunion. I mean, it's totally a reunion for, for the cast in itself. So even even if you hate Dead Mouse and you, and you hate all the work that you guys <laughs> and everybody thinks you're a prick. Just purely alone for the fact that you got all the cast again to to talk about something. I mean, Matt, 
Am I right in thinking? I don't, I'm not sure if I'm correct on this, but Peter Weller, did he almost kind of stay away from Robocop for a wee while? <clears throat> he? Uh, well, he stayed away from us for five years. When we started the whole project, uh, we kind of knew at the time, I think he, he was quite public at the time, Peter was, that he was you uh-huh. know, not going to speak about Robocop anymore. He spoke about it for 30 years. There was no point in talking about it. So we can't, that was kind of, even though we were trying to get him for mm-hmm. five years, that was kind of like a bit of a cushion for us because we knew he wasn't talking about it. What really yeah. kind of started pissing us off was when he started doing cons and started <laughs> doing KFC adverts and started doing voiceovers. And we're like, shit, he's obviously, he's obviously coming back into the fold again. Yeah. Uh, but that was just, again, you know, it was lots of negotiation, lots of lots of um, conversations. But we finally got him, you know, two years ago mm-hmm. or 18 months, whatever it was. But, uh, yeah, so he, he had steered away from for a long time. But, again, I think the feedback on him from this doc has just been brilliant as well, that he mm-hmm. really gives his heart and soul in the documentary. And he really, really, you know, I think all the kind of negativity about him over the years and what kind of actor he was on the set. When you watch from the doc, he really justifies everything, I think, you know, as to why... Yeah. You know, he may have behaved the way he did and whatnot. It's that audio story, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting there going, right, I bet you any money that's true. <laughs> oh, that's true, 100%. <laughs> no, there's no you, didn't, you didn't even have to get to his side of the story to know how, how true that was. I think that one, one of my favourite things, and as Gary said, what I love is, you know, yeah, I think for years we were naively optimistic, like, because we couldn't get Weller. That's kind of when we were like, oh, well, we'll get Richard Eden. We'll get Robert Burke from the sequels. <laughs> we got them. And we kind of, we stupidly thought for years, like, you know, and I think it would have. It did work without him. We we mm. were, you know, Eastwood had dug out a treasure trove of these archive interviews that mm. nobody had ever heard before. And we've had it with past projects where it's like, okay, if we can't get this particular person, we build up the mystique about them. They're kind of mm. there in spirit, but they're not there. Um, and then when we got him in and being able to drop, and for, I'm speaking on Eastwood's bath here, but being able to drop him in the edit and to be honest, the performance we got out of him, being lifelong fans and having seen all these interviews with him before, it was like, holy shit, I've never seen this guy on fire like this before talking about <laughs> all these things. So yeah. I think we lucked out massively with the weather we got that day. But, you know, it's ebbs and flows. <laughs> <laughs> We Who was the, it there initially? We had the document, didn't we, Chris? We had the um, literally on this desk all of his sort of notes from 1986 that John Davison, the original Robocop producer, had shipped out to us. So we could mm. feed Weller his own notes from back in on the production. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. it, when, he, when, he, when he found out that we had those, he was literally like this, like, couldn't be, <laughs> he was just so full of it. So that was awesome. And then just to talk about the Oreo story quickly, <laughs> Chris, Chris asked Peter in the interview, for his side of the Oreo story, and Peter never once said, what story is this? Or what do you mean? He literally said, bullshit, whatever it is, bullshit. <laughs> and I know some people are saying, oh, but is it is it true? Is it not? We had three other people, aside from Randy Moore, who was the brave yeah. one who said it on camera. Three other uh-huh. people told us this off camera and didn't, didn't want to put it on camera. <laughs> so they're, they're, that's all the evidence you need. <laughs> it's the expression that paints like a thousand words as well let's be honest it's not just that story it's another anecdote that comes a bit earlier in the documentary which i'm surprised that hasn't erupted yet um but you that's why i mean to be honest when it came to the interview we had him for uh, just over four hours and at the start i remember thinking like we were doing it uh online so it was being shot in burbank and we were doing it just like this now online we were doing the interview with him 
And uh, for the first half an hour, I remember going like, oh, shit, man. We're, we're going to have to, like, repurpose what he's saying because he was talking about anything but Robocop at the start. <laughs> and we, and it was our fault for saying, like, oh, tell us about your career up to that point and didn't realise we were going to get as much detail as we did. Yeah. And I was just there going, shit, we're going to have to, like, whenever he mentions someone's crazy, it's like, right, that, that can be used when he's, you know, talking about, I don't know, Paul Verhoeven, because that is true. Um, <laughs> kind of really opened up to us. And Eastwood have made a very smart move with the questions we'd put together. We kind of ordered them, not in chronological order, like pre-production, uh, production, post-production. We did it in a way of, like, right, let's start off with the meaty questions we know he's never talked about. Then we'll drift into um, the standards, oh, you know, suit questions that he's talked about before. And then when we had that, I don't know, still like half an hour, 40 minutes to kill, I think we kind of like either gave each other a look or messaged each other offline. It's like, Fuck, man. Sh should we do it? Should we, should we dig into some of these points? That other we <laughs> dared ask them at the start. Yeah. By the end, like that relationship had built so much. It was like, so do you want to talk to us about the Oreo story? Do you want <laughs> we hear that it was a bit of a horny set and all this and that. And guy's <laughs> expression, man. Yeah, he might not admit it, but you look at the eyes and that face. And while he does on one part, kills me every time. So yeah, he might, he might not be admitting it, you know, verbally, but visually very much so <laughs> you know um mattyman usually like for years now anytime we come up with something we say a throwaway line it usually ends up as a poster that mattyman creates and i'm going to call it robo shagger <laughs> <laughs> not robo -shagger. as easy as it looks <laughs> <laughs> not as easy as it <laughs> so that's a, quite a, a, a decent tagline there as well huh robo um, wants his whole <laughs> Come dead or alive. <laughs> Sorry. Taking another, Disgusting. Another, another, so I take it all three of you are huge Robocop fans. I know Chris, I can already see it in your eyes. Um Gary and Eastwood. Do <laughs> <laughs> you guys grow up love I mean I I grew up loving Robocop the same way any other kid would and know it inside and out. Um but then you get films that people are really diehard lovers of. Would you say that it's equally matched, or is there one of you in the in the trio that that loves it more than the other? Fight, fight, fight. I'm definitely <laughs> not anywhere near these two. I mean, I nah. I, you know, I appreciate it. I loved the film as a kid. You know, I remember mm -hmm. having strong memories of watching the films as kids and having the action figures and that kind of stuff. And obviously, mm -hmm. the sequels and the TV series and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it was definitely these two are the, the geeks in terms of, I, I don't know which one's the biggest geek either, to be honest. I'm sure there'll be a fight one day, a, na a naked wrestler somewhere, uh, who's, the, who's the biggest Robocop fan. But yes, I'm out of that fight massively. Uh, <laughs> why, why the fuck did we all see this film as kids? That's the no, really right. strange part, right. right? ITV is the problem, I think. It yeah. Was for me. yeah. It's, it's the toys as well, isn't it? And that's what I mean. Yeah. That was totally one of the earliest things we were talking about. Uh, or if you like, if you look, if you go back to like the start with us and you look at the imagery, I remember kind of saying to Gary, I think he put together this image of like a, I mean, you see it all the time now with like these mm. other 80s retrospectives. We were first. Uh, like the silhouette of, we were first, of course we were. A silhouette <laughs> of a kid watching the TV with the Robocop figures on top of it and this mm. and that. And I, I truly believe there's just like a handful of films where it's like, oh, I saw Terminator as a kid, Predator. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was that primetime Saturday night tv thing but oh, for yeah. me i've always thought that robocop was the top of it you know the top of the pile of the, the film that kids shouldn't have watched and i know for myself my mum had a highly edited tv version she had made for mm -hmm. me uh, a friend snuck in his lunchbox the double bill of one and two 
You know, I mean, I mean, it wasn't drugs as a kid. It was VHSs <laughs> and the things we should be watching. And so, I've, and that was, and we certainly made sure to cover that with the questions. Sorry, guys, wins. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> um, Matthew Man just looks like he's had his dick shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the um, the whole the thing you're talking about, like with kids sharing VHSs and stuff. Obviously, it was. Mm. Tape it was traders. so easy to do by and everybody saw things that they shouldn't as a kid. Um mm-hmm. but when I mean how how old were I'll start I'll start with you, Eastwood. How old were you when you first seen Robocop? So Chris Chris was five when he saw it, and I was three. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> but I again both of us, I, I wanted to start with both of us basically give you some context because then you, you're not thinking that was some serial killer or something as, as John Davidson alludes to John Davidson in the documentary when he basically talks about I'm surprised if you've seen it at a young age you're not a serial killer he's basically looking at chris and i and, and I, <laughs> I saw it when i was three but my uncle was a movie projectionist at a theater and he he was obsessed with like cutting vhs tapes and taping stuff off the tv and making almost like rips of things and he i was obsessed with superman and batman um from birth essentially and so they said this is a new big thing um, i was born in 87 so it just it was literally out so um yeah they cut that together so my cut didn't make any sense whatsoever it was a lot of just bang bang shoot shoot the squib to me never felt like blood for some reason because i was a kid it was all like exaggerated but i i didn't get to see yeah. murphy's death so when i eventually saw that that literally tra- traumatized me at like nine um um but yeah i was i was three chris do you want to tell you already sort of t- touched on your story gary how old were you when you saw it oh god i mean pretty weird he's not really, i'm sure i know exactly but uh, i think it's i was in primary school so it's probably i reckon about eight or nine maybe uh i know i've told this story a million times but i always remember me and my friend ben sparry watching uh in his house and we watched the the bitches leave scene and when we reenacted it not with any bitches (laughs) 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 we we, uh we we were snorting sherbet dip we had it literally lined up when we were snorting it (laughs) and not not having an, an idea what we were doing and what drugs actually were so that that was the influence it had on me not the gore and violence was just snorting sherbet dip at the age of about seven or eight. Do you know, funnily enough, I, I remember watching it. I remember watching that uh, with my dad, when it, and I couldn't have been any older than six at the time, and I actually asked him, what's that white stuff? Yeah. And, he's, and he, he just said, sugar. I remember I remember being a kid, basically, and I, I'm, I'm old, right? I, I think I was probably about eight when it came out, and uh, <laughs> My, my friend's kind of bigger brother had come back from his kind of lad's holiday and he'd come back with pirate videos and he had <laughs> he had Die Hard, he had The Running Man and he had Robocop. And basically, <laughs> we basically Brilliant. stole them one weekend and that was the greatest weekend I think ever. And we <laughs> saw that the whole trinity. <laughs> and it, and it, was, it was just a phenomenal thing to see as a, as a kind of little... 10 year old kid, know. it was brilliant. I remember it was so common in my house, just as it was as common as never ending story. It just I never thought about it, I never thought about it. You know, what I mean, it was just Robocop to me. The, the gore and all that just it just was what it was. Eh, got a few comments here. Uh, the Zoe Dunn Corporation says best talk about movie ever made. Where hey, hey. <laughs> Janice says, Hey guys, <laughs> Steve Lee says, Hi kids. He also says, It was a pleasure working with you, gentlemen. On hey, this project. Steve. <laughs> Absolutely. Not, not the same if it wasn't for Steve Lee, whose contributions were endless. He was the one that handed us all of the um, documents and archive. So, Amazing. Steve, big up to Steve. 
Yeah, there you go. Home, yeah, it's very home. We just can't hear them. Um, Marv Dogger says, "Is Officer Duffy interviewed for RoboCop 2? Sadly, he had passed. I don't know if he had, he's passed away now, hasn't he? I think the actor who played Duffy. Yeah, I think we looked. I don't it, know if that we? was at the time. I mean, we got a lot of yes, people. It was at the time. If anybody asks. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> sadly. <laughs> Anybody asking about any interviewees of people that aren't in the doc or people that they wish we'd got? We honestly tried every avenue. Gary and Mikey Perez, our producers, tried everyone. Just everything mm. is tried from just like literally knocking on their door. We tried. It was the same with Rob Bertine in the first one. We tried. Ed Newmeyer called Rob for us in our office and put us on speakerphone. And he mm. called Rob and was like, hi, Rob. And there was just dead air, some heavy breathing. And then <laughs> <laughs> so it's like this, this mysterious enigmatic sort of moment that adds to the character but um yeah we honestly we've tried absolutely everybody yeah. I promise I think, it, I think took any, us took us five any, years to get well, oh, yeah, yeah, somewhere anyone, that Rob has course, a but he's Rob's kind of great camera shy he's, he's a wee bit yeah. like himself sometimes but he doesn't he do interviews or anything no um, there was a there was a thing apparently a few years ago where he did an interview for a blu-ray for the thing and I think they misquoted him and you, <laughs> I think he'd asked them not to use certain parts of the interview, and they still did. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of really pissed him off, and he kind of like said he'd never do any interviews ever again. So um, again, that's unfortunate <laughs> for us that it, that happened. Um, yeah. I mean, said so anybody who's not in it is either dead or, or is dead to us because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we tried. We even had Miguel. Miguel had confirmed, and when we got oh, to LA, oh, no. um, I think oh. we'd even had a confirmation of. Maybe one of his shoot days he was going to be doing it, and then we had a message saying that he wasn't very well. Obviously, he was going through chemo and stuff at the time. So, um, you know, again, we had to kind of postpone that. And then, unfortunately, when we got back not long after, I think he passed away. So again, he oh. was he was confirmed to do it, and he wanted to do it. So, you know, for us, you know, we had that kind of blessing, really, that obviously that he wanted to be part of it. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. it's 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 actually, I think I think some people forget how good he actually is in that movie. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's fucking amazing. You, he's so detestable, but you kind of like him at the same time. Um, it's mm -hmm. like, but obviously, Kurtwood Smith comes across as one of the nicest guys ever, and that scares me because <laughs> my Kurt my Kurtwood Smith is a dick, and he's evil. <laughs> you know. But, but what, what was it like sitting down with him? So we did his interview was actually um, outsourced. Uh, so we right. did like so we started off the production. I remember like you know we knew we wanted to do something big. And by the time we got over to the States, I think there might be a photo of this somewhere. We were in a hard rock cafe and we only had somewhere in the region of like 10, God, probably not even 10 people. Yeah. It's about six people confirmed. Yeah. Then it kind of gradually grew to like, okay, well, we got 16 people. By the end of that trip, we'd come back with over 60, six zero interviews. So this, <laughs> this set the tone for how this documentary would go. Like, oh, well, if we can get this person, let's get that person and that person, that person. So this is kind of the genesis of it growing into the monster that it became. Um, but with Kurtwood Smith, he was unable to attend at the time of principal photography. So we had to actually outsource that afterwards. Right. But um, we were actually fortunate... Um, yeah, quite boisterous. I don't know if I could do that now, but uh, to actually hook up with him and Ed Newmeyer uh, the following year for a meal. And fair play, he obliged uh, and came along uh, for that. And yeah, it's really surprising how mild-mannered, you know, very <laughs> polite, very nice. And then you think, shit, man, this is the guy that blew off Murphy's hand, you know. <laughs> he's, he's nothing like... And actually, to be honest, I think we kind of allude this in the documentary. The whole gang are nothing like their 
screen mm. counterparts. And I think, if anything, that just makes it all the more impressive. You're like, holy shit, how did yeah. you guys become so vicious, especially with all <laughs> the ad-libbing they actually put in themselves? So shows everyone's got a dark side. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the that that gang of bad guys might be the best in movie history. Just can he help but like them? Yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's really you get nearly really... as well. This is one thing. Um, uh, Freddie Heise, who was actually a stunt player, but he played Bobby, the guy who's thrown out by Clarence. Can he you fly, Bobby? <laughs> he was a stunt player, so he actually did a few stunt scenes. But he's yeah, he's obviously in the scene, and we wanted to try and be a completist. I think Dougie was. We couldn't get a hold of Dougie, the guy that played Dougie, who gets shot. When he's um yeah when he's he gets shot by Murphy in the in the wet house but yeah yeah Bobby uh, Freddie Heiss I tried to get I was talking to him via email over like six seven months and he was just um either stunt coordinating or on sets at other places outside of um uh where we had sort of where we wanted to get him set up so yeah he was the only one who was like shit that would have been awesome to get uh, another body the gang member even though he's in it for literally a scene but uh yeah. <laughs> I think that's the greatest sign of a of a great film, and I don't think it happens so much nowadays as well as a quotable movie. I mean, all your favorite movies, you've got more than like five quotes where you can say it to someone. I, I remember, and I've said this a few times. J Mac and I used to work together, and we were at opposite ends of the building, and I think I started humming the you know the Rocky montage in Rocky Four. The training montage. I started humming it, and then he finished it off from the other side of the <laughs> building. So I mean, I think that's a great sign of of like a great film i think it has to have all that or is it or is it just nostalgia is it just that the 80s and the 90s were fully we just love it for that i don't think think there's so much to this film and Mm. again i will will forever and certainly now living breathing this documentary you know you pick away the parts there's the things i think why this film works so well for me and for us you know and i'll say this on behalf of all of us is you are it's a film you watch as a kid and you enjoy it in one way you know the shoot mm-hmm. shoot bang bang stuff then as you get older you start to understand it in different ways you start mm-hmm. to understand the human I'll, I'll be honest just a couple of this film, my wife gives me so much shit for being uh one night like robocop's got soul and then lo and behold look what they're saying <laughs> on this documentary and i i honestly yeah. believe there's not one bad about this film, the performances, the scenes, the quotes, the direction, everything about it. There's just so much to unpack. And I think it kind of, mm-hmm. again, proves why it was ripe to have such an in-depth making of. Watching it as an adult, it's 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 pretty heartbreaking to watch. That, <laughs> yeah. that scene where he's walking through the house is... <laughs> it's it's horrible yeah. to watch. Seeing when when you're a when you're a parent, it's 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 gut wrenching. Things do hit you different when you're a parent. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it becomes relatable, doesn't it, when you're older? Whereas as a kid, that was probably that was like, oh, this is boring. He's just walking around. Yep. Totally. Now it's like, no, 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 no. That's that's probably one of the best scenes of the film. So I think that's that, why yeah. I love that is the interpretation of it from a different perspective of age. I, I never, I never quite understood why he did that with his face. Like, <laughs> like I knew, I know he was trying to emote, and he's only got that bit of his face. But I always thought that was a really funny face he made just before he punched the screen. I mean, it's a very powerful line he says in that scene as well. Oh, no, it's the scene later on he says, um, I can't remember them, but I can feel them. That's hmm. that's some stuff. <laughs> I can't feel them, but I can remember them. What? No, I can feel them, but I can't remember them. Aye. 
Jema, it's, it's no secret, Jema, because verbatim, word for word, usually I always mince my words. Always. Um, <laughs> back I'll be. <laughs> where, where do you start cutting something like this together with so much to choose mm. from? Well, best thing to do is transcribe it, which is never fun, but spending weeks and weeks um, jotting everything down. I didn't transcribe it uh, word for word because that would have just been silly and a bit wasteful and would have taken years. So these guys wouldn't have got it. You guys wouldn't have got it for another 10. Um, so transcribing it, we had 77 hours of footage shot. Um, so it was, yeah, weeks and weeks of doing that. And that's another thing. So if pe for people out there that don't know, they think, why has it taken that long? We all work full time. I work for a broadcaster in the UK. I'm a freelance or I was a freelance editor, I'm now an edit manager that manages a team of editors. So we all have busy jobs. And then it was just literally doing stuff in between um, work. So I would be eager to get home and crack on. But yeah, it was transcribing it. Um, I've got a document that I think is 40 pages of the whole of everything that everybody says in bullet points. Um, and then it was just, yeah, I'd organized it by a scene. And that's where we worked out, look, we've got every single scene covered here. Um, and not just silly stuff for the sake of having a scene covered. It was it was it was you know exhaustive the stuff we actually yeah. took out so um yeah that's when we saw it we sat down and said look this is a lot fleshier than uh, than we initially thought so what do we want to do gang and then i'll let gary talk about sort of the logistics of juggling um it was me against a lot of people who wanted it to be a lot shorter for different reasons and gary sort of fought my corner to, <laughs> to have it be a, an exhaustive scene by scene so gary do you want to talk about some of that side of it yeah, I mean, we were told a few years ago when we first started doing, obviously, our documentaries, they're independent, so we could do like nine hours of the Hellraiser, which is way too long. Um, <laughs> but obviously, when we started working with distributors and, and obviously um, uh, professionals, you want to call them, in terms of producers, the, the mantra very much a couple of years ago was everything had to be 100 minutes, no more than 100 minutes. And then obviously, you know, I remember going back to East was saying, you know, we've got well, but it's got to be a hundred minute documentary. It can't be any more on the first film. And uh, we had a, a debate about that. But again, again, you know, he was very passionate about, you know, why he wanted it to be longer and that he couldn't be. There was no way he could ever get down to a hundred minutes. I think he was even asked to do a cut as well, a hundred minute cut, as well as doing the four hour version. And then <laughs> we were told that nobody would, nobody would want a four hour uh documentary which obviously i don't think, I think it's difficult to watch four hours in one go and then we came to the idea of having obviously a series and then uh, we were told nobody would buy a series uh of four hours for, for um, one film we were told seven years ago nobody would want to be part of a documentary on robocop obviously that was wrong <laughs> you know seven years ago uh and, we, and again you know i think i remember having a conversation with eastwood uh, he phoned me and i said you know we're in a bit of a pickle that our producers who are working with us saying it has to be 100 minutes, you want it to be four hours. And then he, you know, we had the debate and he said, you know, it, it can't be any more. It can't, it can't be any less than what it is. So I went back mm -hmm. and told them it was going to be four hours dead on. And then <laughs> when, when Eastwood delivers the episodes and the one hour and 10 and one hour and 20, I'm not cursing him. But again, <laughs> we've been really lucky with Screenbox and obviously Kaleidoscope because. Mm. Box were just loving it, you know. They, they want they get really happy about the length of it, so yeah. And I think because you're streaming now, it doesn't matter if it's like an hour and 10 or hour and 20 no. and one hour, one's one hour, it doesn't matter anymore. Like it used to, you know, it was confined to a TV channel, it's different. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, hands up, I, I was kind of like against it. And then when I was told what we were actually doing, it was a scene by scene dissection. You can't do a scene by scene dissection with a 90 minute film in 100 minutes, 
it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, um, for me watching it, I remember putting an, was like episode three on and I went, and then the, the music hits and I found myself, I'm like, is that it already? Like, that's where I was at with it. Like, yeah. there <laughs> absolutely wasn't a slog. So for me being able to watch it so quickly, just kind of is a testament to either how well you guys done it or how yeah, well I think, able I think to the format it. helps as well, you know. And again, I think we've mm-hmm. said before on other um interviews, and the lads will obviously testify to this. There's no boring scenes at all in in Robocop. Every single scene has relevance. You know, every single scene is gold. No, mm-hmm. Nothing in the actual film itself. So when you're doing a documentary and you're dissecting each scene, it shouldn't be boring. You know, you want it. Yeah. I remember sitting there watching it at Eastwood's house, and it's like four hours maybe a bit longer at the time. I don't think we had, I'm not sure if we had Weller or not. We probably did at the time. And I was just waiting for the, the Ronnie Cox death scene. I'm going, Ronnie, <laughs> 20 minutes in. But, but <laughs> so fast, four hours, did, it just went so fast to get to that scene. And so I think, I hope people are doing the same. They've got their favourite scenes from the film and going, I want to see that. And, and, and they get to it. I think the formula of, of, four, of four episodes, one a week, it's kind of worked. Mm. We're all a bit worried at one stage. Would people you know, be engaged with that? And I think it's really worked. And feedback online has been, you know, people don't say, you know, I can't wait for a Tuesday because that's the release date in, in the States. Yeah. And that, that's been great for us. It's been quite nice to then see, obviously, how Twitter's and blows up then, obviously, on a Wednesday with people mm-hmm. obviously talking about the episodes from before. You know, the <laughs> style as well. What I love about it is the the way it's edited as well. I, 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 mean, I would assume it's uh, yourself, Eastwood. Once when, when I remember the cast is talking about something, like and it goes <laughs> bang bang. It's like you're that. seeing the effect. I thought that was <clears> phenomenal. <throat> Even when it came to they were talking about how you back then they had no after effects, so they'd have to actually draw a sheet while they were editing on film. And just every every aspect of that was really well thought out by how you guys edited it to what they were talking about. Just so relevant. And and I think that's one of the things that keeps you watching a documentary is that it's you just there's a there's a lot you know what i mean and it, it, it feels exciting it really yeah. does it kind of feels that you 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 know you can tell that effort's been put in i mean you've basically done open heart surgery on on a project <laughs> that and i imagine so obviously the original plan wasn't to be a series so it then became a series based on how i, I probably couldn't i probably couldn't imagine it now as just a, a one-off I mean, the original plan wasn't it wasn't for it to be a series or three seasons mm-hmm. either. Some somebody today, um, I, I promise I wouldn't talk about it, but I'm going to mention it quickly. Someone today was moaning about uh, about it for some strange reason, and he's and uh, I got into a debate with him, and he said we were promised, you know, all three films. This is disgraceful. It's only covering the first one. I'm thinking you've got four and a half hours on one film. Oh, no. You've got season two coming, and season three. That's more yeah. than we ever expected it to be. And I think, you know, and I, but again, I think that's testament to the work everybody's put into it. And obviously the lads mm-hmm. this week, getting the gold out of people, you know, I mean, interviews mm-hmm. that we've got that much footage now. We can do that and we can really delve in, you know, into the uh, second film and the third film and the TV series. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, that's again, it's just, it's that whole dissection of that franchise and, yeah, it should never have been. It should never have been four hours. It should have been ninety minutes <laughs> or two hours, maybe. It's ended up being four episodes of nearly five, nearly five hours, and then another hour of bonus features on the Blu-ray. Mm. Then obviously two more seasons coming next year and year after. So, you know, <laughs> that's the The um, by the way, the this the OST to this the original soundtrack. Um, I'm right in saying Eastwood uh, has that a lot of your fingerprints on that. 
Um, what was it? Was always a decision to be synthwave. I, uh, that was my intention, and I convinced yeah. Chris because I, I was into that stuff way before Robocop. I, ever since, yeah. I think um, obviously Kavinsky with Drive came out, I was all over the synthwave. Yeah, stuff. that was I, brilliant. I, was 14, wasn't it? I know a lot of people jumped mm -hmm. onto that, and then I was like, Chris, this is how we can keep the energy up. And I'll, these are all mm -hmm. pals, and most of them are independent. So let me reach out to them. And I was mm -hmm. super giddy because I'm like obviously a massive fan of these people. So I reached out to Magnus Larson, who was who's lost years. They are the mm -hmm. act lost years who just had just done the Kung Fury soundtrack for those that, yeah. which I bloody love the Kung, the Kung Fury short film that was on YouTube. That David, yeah, that was great. David Sandberg <laughs> that made it. Um, that's they are actually doing a sequel now, which is like a, a full on production, which should be should be fun. But um, I reached out to Lost Years. It, it, I just said, look, I'd love to use anything in RoboDoc, just to just whatever you're happy for us to have. And obviously, we'll credit you, and we'll get your logo in the credits. And because we couldn't, we couldn't afford to splash out mm -hmm. on that because it was, you know, it was we were doing it all off our own back at that point. We didn't have any distributors or any any um, any agreements. So he was like, "Yeah, use anything from the catalog, just not the not the Confiori soundtrack." So that was like five <laughs> albums. So I was like, amazing. And then I reached out and used sort of him with with the clout and reached out to twenty odd other acts um, and mm -hmm. just said, "We loved." Lost Years is doing it. Do you want to get involved? And everybody's like, just I love Robocop. Yeah, you guys do whatever you want. And um, so yeah, the only one we didn't get, which was um Gunship, which I'm a massive fan of Gunship. Oh, and man. I originally asked Dan Hay, who's their lead guy, um such sorry, a great man. Dan. And, and Dan had said, Yeah, you can use you can use um he'd seen the trailer and was like, What do you want? Email me saying, What do you want? And I was like, yeah. I'd like five instrumentals if you wouldn't mind. And he was like, Absolutely, absolutely. And we were down to have gunship in it in certain scenes, and it's not just again not just me picking out my favourite songs, putting the dock. It was all it was all relevant yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then um, unfortunately for us, his manager got involved and was like, "You need to guarantee all these agreements." And I was sort of like, "I wish I could, but we're just we're independent." And so that ended up not happening. Um, but we would have got to love that. a manager. Eh? No, yeah, but there's like 24 know. people, uh, 24 artists in there. There's 109 or 107 uh, tracks, something like that. We've got a Spotify playlist for people that are That's right. eager for it. But yeah, if you can just show the artists some love and just give them a follow and and give them a listen and appreciate their work, because I do. We, I, do I, we listen to it all the time. I know Chris is the same. Like in the car on a run, we listen to that soundtrack and those guys all the time. You know, maybe hit up a record label and see if they want to put together a wee. An actual original soundtrack album for like HMV. That'd be the dream, wouldn't it? I think it's just that, the logistics of that and how it works with residuals, and uh, I don't know how that works. But um, I mean, I know it can be done. It gets done for a lot of different other. Obviously, it's a minefield and a lot of work. Eh? Um, yeah. But I would imagine off the success of it. We've got um, we've got Sean Hennessy who did the orchestral music. So the orchestral music that uh -huh. you hear in there, that's not the not not the movie soundtrack, is Sean Shaver Hennessy who worked with Chris and I to um, craft. We we said we want it to work like this. We want something emotional. We want something villainous, mm -hmm. heroic. And he just sent us everything, and there were there was like no notes. It was like this is awesome. So he mm -hmm. he gave us about seventy minutes worth of music, I think. And no, it really, as it's a, it's a, it's a for me. I've always said a great film, a great TV series has something that leaves you humming the theme song. Um, for me, by the way, see the new arcades, the, the actual theme song to Robodoc. Mm -hmm. uh, I can I can hear the the DNA of Robocop's theme song, but I can also hear Bret Hart's theme song from from WWF. Anybody else hear it? <laughs> I was I was getting hints at Earwolf. Right. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, we, um, definitely in there. <laughs> we spent some time with um with those guys, Dean, yeah, Dean and um and Adam from from 
new new arcades. I was like, I want it to sound like this, but it can't be a ripoff. I want it to have hints of like the Bodica gang. There's there's like a theme that comes on when the 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 vans first introduced. It's like a do 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 that sort of in that theme in in its own sort of way. And I, I sent them like a BPM and said it needs to be this these these this like um you know beats per minute to match the visuals. So yeah. they matched that, and then they sent everything over. And then I think Chris had just said, love it, but can we just make the drums a bit more eighties? And so we fed that back to them, yeah. and they just they just had the flash and everything. And yes, wow. super <laughs> proud of that one. That's that's a, a, such a cool thing. Another one that I've been just waiting to share with people and go wait until this theme oh. comes out because if you're a Robocop fan, you're going to hear it and you're going to yeah. you're going to get a kick out of it. So, <laughs> no, so definitely on board. When I started watching it, I kind of I had kind of paused it and just messaged Kev saying this the start of this is phenomenal. This is uh, that was it. Even the, so, the uh, graphics, even the, the graphics all for the opening title, just, just amazing. Yeah, I think, totally sets you up. What was uh, We'll go in alphabetical order in this one, right? So, right, we'll go with Chris Eastwood and then Gary. Uh, what was the biggest surprise during all your interviews? Everything, everything that you found out about the making of the film. What was the most surprising? Oh God, I, I hate these kind of questions. Of course, I'd go first. Um, <laughs> I'd say in a blanket statement. You know, a bit basic to put it, and hopefully, I think it shows very much in the dark. The one thing I was absolutely amazed by was the level of enthusiasm we got off everyone across the board. Mm-hmm. And that's just, in a, you know, that's more delivery than it is actual tidbits. All right, I know a lot about Robocop. I've been a nerd of it my whole life, so I'm really... <laughs> I've used this one, but I think, okay, it's the circumstance where it really surprised me. Robodoc doesn't have, like, um, Ed Neumeyer sort of says it, I think, in the sort of post-production scene, that Robocop is pretty much the film that was on the script. When the, the DVD came out and you got the deleted scenes, it was more like uh, TV commercial stuff or, you know, news news clips yeah. uh, that mm-hmm. features us. Oh, my God, extra scenes. But one of the most pleasant surprises we had is whilst we were shooting the following year, the Pennywise documentary, mm-hmm. I knew that one of the losers club, Adam Faraisal, was in Robocop 2. Yeah. So knowing that, like, oh, sod it, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's get everyone included. We'll get a bit on him about, <laughs> you know, his little shit, he's fucked up as the, the little eager in number two. As we were doing this interview, <laughs> he saw that, I think he almost started off straight away. And it wasn't like he, we talked about this before shooting the interview. He said, oh, here's a little known fact. I was actually supposed to be in Robocop 1. <laughs> and that was excellent. Blew my mind, and then of yeah. course, then that just got fleshed out. Um, and, and what was great as well is because one of the people we had tried approaching that we didn't get um, any joy out of uh, for the doc was uh, Hophead, the guy that shoots up the mum and pop store. Mm-hmm. So we, we had a few little bits of information, but in terms of by this point knowing that we're going that scene by scene route, we knew there was a bit of a gap there. So as soon as he started talking about that, it was like holy shit, that was supposed to be. <laughs> different i think it turned out better in the final product to be honest you know mm-hmm. so it's you know i think all things happen for a reason so then yeah to get um and a credit and a shout out here to uh martin go uh known as preserved dragons who's done all these like animations of behind the scenes oh stuff. right man that stuff is yeah. amazing I, I, my amazing. mind was fucking blown when i saw <laughs> the final version and i think yeah. even before it was like a basic version of that scene with some subtle mm-hmm. animations so I didn't see until very late in the day the final version with all the articulated character mm-hmm. voices and everything like that. So being an ardent fan and knowing the ins and outs of Robocop my whole life, 
that was like, ha now there's something that all the other nerds are not going to know. And so, yeah, that, <laughs> that probably was my biggest one. <laughs> that was brilliant. I, I was really, like, that part really had me. And I actually quite like, it was well written. Takes his candy bar back out and is like, how much is this? <laughs> I thought that, that actually would have been excellent. That was actually that was from the original script. So we we yeah yeah that was those lines were from the script, and I just got some pals to. It was actually Kevin Kachaver, who's one of the animators that does most of the voice in there. I've, I've got a voice yeah. in there, and then my my buddies Matt and Kieran did the animations for that and just brought it all to life. But it was yeah that those renders and that artwork, and if you look at the Easter eggs as well in the background in the mom and pop store, the, yeah. We had a load of like obviously in the in the original film there's you know there's Miller Light and there's Budweiser whatever it is in the background we could, we didn't want to have that in there so we he Martin um, I sent him a list of names of the cast mm-hmm. and crew from the first movie and some of the you know Cecil's in there who's the clerk who we never got to interview and there's so many yeah. Easter eggs where they've put all of these cast names in into some of the items and posters and <laughs> artwork it was so detailed that you could just freeze freeze frame that that part. It was, a, it was a great Easter egg to see as well with the Iron Man comic where it's the same one where Iron Man kind of shows off yeah, and yeah. then here you see Robocop. Um, so what, what really surprised you about the documentary? Well, that was one of them, which definitely that was me again going through it frame by frame as the editor and going, what comic? And looking at all the other comics around and there's like some ROM comics in there that um, uh, Ed Neumeyer took inspiration um from um obviously the blade runner origins comic which is in there there's so many obviously they've picked out things that are intentional they've not just said let's just fill it with comic books and i love that but i think Mm -hmm. for me which was surprising and this is touching on the same thing was we'd asked um before this documentary everyone said oh it's just ripping off judge dread and we sort of (laughs) said we can definitely see that there's behind the scenes stills of of some of the maquettes that Mm -hmm. were, were, were built up with the suit and it's like that's proper judge dread but when we asked the makers um, they said they'd never heard of Judge Dredd, aside from Ed Newmeyer, who was who knew of the, of the comics, but Miles Tevez and apparently Rob Bottin, Peter Weller, they'd never heard of Judge Dredd, with it being a British thing, um, which surprised me because they were they were you know um, ripping it off with some of the, <laughs> some of the, uh, the design aesthetics. So yeah. that was the biggest thing. I was expecting them to go, oh, absolutely, here's some photographs of some other Judge Dredd stuff, but they were they were shocked when we brought that up that. There was, <laughs> You know, you paid homage to Judge Dredd, and they were sort of like, "Have we? We had no idea with that." God <laughs> dang! What about yourself, Gary? Uh, it's weird for me because obviously these two obviously dissect every single moment of that bloody film. Um, two, just two <laughs> things. What one obviously is more of a of a personable thing, and obviously one's more of a, of a mm-hmm. scene. The first one is uh, meeting SD Nemeth, who played Bixby Snyder. I think he was mm-hmm. like so hard to find and we kind of had to do some really kind of investigation to get him <laughs> and some stalking and when we met him i know eastwood would probably tell the rest of the story later but he had no idea about the impact that character had had in terms of obviously i buy that for a dollar and he's, yeah. only, he's only in the film like seconds really but yet he's so remembered and everybody even like when you know people post up about this documentary they respond mm-hmm. i'd buy that for a dollar and he was like so, so blown away, obviously, by how, how kind of cultural impact his character had had. And it was mm. just nice to have him in the dark, someone like him, because he had no recognition for that role. And then mm-hmm. he obviously had a career on radio with his, as a comedian. So I really, that, that was a really nice moment in the production. And the other thing, again, I, got, I was going about some villains and stuff like that. But, but you know, in all of our projects, we always try and, and, and highlight some of the issues that made with effects and, and you know, and mm-hmm. some scenes and, you know, Pennywise, we did the spider. Uh, yeah. But this one, obviously, the one that always gets obviously all the shit is obviously the death of Dick Jones and the, the, <laughs> the long arms, the, the Freddy Krueger long arms. I love it. Yeah. Fucking love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really covered it 
because again, I think you show what 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 went what you know what went wrong with it, but also I love the, the again the artwork that when I've seen Ronnie describes what should have happened or what how it had been explained to him that Dick Jones falls through in the window and does the flip. And then to see mm-hmm. that artwork and go, fucking that artwork in that scene is better than the actual fucking movie. <laughs> 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 Everybody wants that. Just put that into a new version of the film and it will get away with it. But yeah, yeah. That, that, I like stuff like that, you know, what could have been really and, and you know, as Chris <laughs> mentioned and he's sort about the kid in the shop. That could yeah. have been a brilliant ending, really, just watching Dick Jones splatter against the pavement. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's it from me. I think, you know, the, um, the, I think the long arms thing just for me it just adds it's another added bit of charm to the whole yeah. film. It's really it's weird when pe- <laughs> people say there's not one scene in that film which is wrong. If people say it on line, you go, there's one scene, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there's one, there's one. Was, the biggest it, Achilles yeah. heel to that was that it just really, really doesn't help that it was followed up the next year by yeah. Die Hard. And that scene still <laughs> looks convincing. Uh... So when you 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 can't use that. Oh, it's just a thing of his time. It's like the same. No, that, it's really weird because like you got what year, what year was obviously Robocop was eighty seven, so he falls that's out the window. Eighty eight, he's Alan Rickman, and then eighty nine, mm-hmm. the Joker falls. Me and Chris wants to go and watch it at the cinema the other day, and that shit. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> a little puppet <laughs> where Jack Nicholson falls at the end. Uh, it's like, that's what, right. What, yeah, it's like what the fuck happened? Well, that was know? a thing to do in the eighties, yeah. wasn't it? Just yeah. fucking launch him off yeah. the high rise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But what, <laughs> what happened? We've literally, you know, did nobody watch Robocop and go? Let's not use a little, you know, a little puppet. Let's try and do an Alan Rickman. No, oh, actually, no, we'll make a little puppet of Jack Nicholson. So it's just kind of like weird that that came after and was still just as bad. It's probably a, it's probably a budgetary thing every time. Sure, it's you more know, expensive to make a figure, make an anim, a little a little figure of somebody and and, and stop motion it and easy to throw something off a roof. Sure, it's much cheaper. <laughs> to throw off a roof. Maybe the insurance, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Come to think of it, see him, I'd buy that for a dollar, is essentially the Tim Capello effect, right? On the screen for a very little time, but yeah, so yeah. iconic. When you yeah. look at Lost Boys, you're always seeing big Tim with a saxophone, and it's it just weird, it's a part yeah. of Lost Boys. Really. It's weird, these, these, um, these kind of images become really iconic, don't they? It's so strange, and become part of pop culture. It's that little moment, isn't it? That you know, of, of things like that. And I'm glad we got him in it. I'm really, really glad we got him in it because I think he's That's the, when we got the canal. The dailies of those scenes as well. So for those that are watching this that haven't seen it yet, you're going to get treated yeah. to the full, um, or at least one of the full commercials that Bixby Snyder's in. You're going to get to get to see the whole yeah. thing that you don't actually see in the film. <laughs> we got dailies for that. So again, Paul Verhoeven was there. He was present for it, despite what it might yeah. say on IMDb. He was there for the commercials. He was obviously he's a bit of a tyrant, wasn't he? He wanted to be... <laughs> his vision he wants to be there for everything um i've actually got notes where he's complaining about the second unit stuff to john davison saying like it's not good enough i want it reshot and it's like you can't do everything pop um but yeah we've got um uh, bixby snyder we've got some nice stuff in there and sd was he was amazing and he was so fun in the in the interview and did some skits with chris and i and, and gary afterwards and yeah it was awesome to see when we normally when we do these interviews, like if we've got an actor on, we try and avoid the question, "What was it like to work with?" Insert here, but mm-hmm. documentary filmmakers, we could probably make an exception. Um, Paul Verhoeven, what was he like to sit down with? Because he seems fucking bananas. <laughs> they all. <laughs> um, it, well, he was a sweetheart by the end. I think that was the rule of thumb. By the end, there was a good. There was a pattern that definitely emerged with certain figures where. You start off like, oh fuck, and then by the end you're like, I fucking love this guy. But we we went. I had uh, that with Gary. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Just, 
10 years <laughs> later, I'm just coming out of it now. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Eastwood still hates me. But yeah, we... <laughs> Um, we um, yeah we went we shot we so we'd done a bunch of interviews before Paul Verhoeven and all of them had been in this uh, studio in Burbank in an effects workshop and so obviously the story we knew what Verhoeven we had an idea what Verhoeven was like on set we'd heard some stories but obviously to have people go in depth and kind of say oh god I I think I'll I'll say it we went out for a drink with someone who didn't work on Robocop I won't mention names uh, and they'd mentioned about an encounter with Verhoeven and like, oh, Jesus, yeah, no. <laughs> he wasn't much fun to be around. So he had been built up for us so much by this point that by the time we took a trip to Malibu, to his house, that morning, it was like um, it was like the prelude to a battle in a World War II movie. You know, when they're all in the trenches and not saying a word to each other? With just, all chewing. The background, just chewing. <laughs> That's what it felt like. I remember like pacing up and down in this cafe um, and none of us were talking. We were so nervous. By the time we get to his house, his wife answers the door, Martine. As ardent nerds and alluded in the documentary, his wife is the one who obviously, you know, gave him the nudge to go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's like, oh my God, it's Martin Verhoeven. Wow, cool. Should we get it? <laughs> we should have probably done that now in for a penny. I'd buy that for an hour. She invited us in and uh, he's got a lovely big house and she's walking us through. And in this kind of what felt like, I could be wrong, but it definitely felt like a great dining room like the michael keaton uh table that he's having with vicky vale he sat at the end of that reading the paper eating his cereal and like oh there he is and we all look and we're like hello hello you know the, the <laughs> he looked up dribbled maybe a bit from his cereal looked back down <laughs> oh his studio and he comes along and um i'm gonna what i'm gonna do is play fair here Eastwood, I'm going to pass you the baton. Fill in the gaps on this one. <laughs> You've done the fun bit, to be honest. Yeah, it was just <laughs> we were nervous enough. And then I remember being in that cafe before, being super nervous. And it was Chris that was assigned to do the questions. Chris had done most of the questions for all the, for the interviewees. And mm. you were so nervous. Me and Gary were sort of like feeling for you. I felt like proper nervous <laughs> for you. And then we went, yeah, we went in, we said hello. He didn't say a word, glanced at his newspaper, glanced back down. You know, it was really awkward. And then we went down to one of his studies where he had, again, like a cello and a grand piano and a library of books because he's an academic and he loves, he loves reading and he's, he's big into art and music. And uh, the guys were setting up. So our camera cameraman, Gerald, was setting up the green screen. Chris was sitting down, prepped with his sort of director's handbook, ready, looking at questions. And then Gary and I were sort of off in the corner um, conscious of time because his manager said you've got like an hour with him, he won't go any longer and so many managers say that but then Paul mm. came sort of past us and walked in front of us to his uh, iMac, sat down and we were sort of like this, sort of like shit what are we doing and he went on IMDB and he was looking at the cast and crew and we were sort of like right okay he's refreshing his mind but when we looked what he was on he went on the Robocop remake and quickly kicked <laughs> off it so he was on the wrong he was on the wrong uh, <laughs> he was a bit sort of embarrassed for a split second and then sort of went back to sort of stern you know stoic Paul Verhoeven and then sat down with Chris he was a little cold at, at start wasn't he Chris and then he, he warmed up and again he was amazing as soon yeah. as he realized we knew our shit and the questions were amazing and Chris was you know, he didn't even need to look at his notes. He could just go off off the cuff. And and he was another one that leaned forward and was relaxed and was incredible and open and honest. And even him in the, you know, he talks about how badly he behaved and he's super candid about it and um, gave us stuff that we'd never heard before. But it was, again, a lot of these interviewees, it adds to the mystery, it adds to the character. So many stories where, 
you know, it, very rarely did somebody come and sit down, not, you know, you'd forget what they said, they'd walk off and you'd be like, what, what do we get there? Every time there was something tangible, people would come in with props, people would come down and like want to reenact the lines and say, oh, I'll do some lines <laughs> for you. We were told Peter Weller would never do the lines by his management. And then Chris and I then were like, we're going to ask him to do the lines and down the camera, Peter would just do lines and he gave, gave him the gun and he did it all. And but I think because they were so comfortable with us by the end of it or by midway with some of them mm-hmm. and, and Verhoeven gave us about 80, 90 minutes and then he was he was off to a lunch with the editor who we just interviewed um oh. so we yeah we we, were, we looked out but so many memories are just ingrained in our minds now of like just just nerves and stress and and um excitement all in the same you just want to make sure that we do a good job because once you've got it in the can and it's on the memory cards that's it you can't you're not going to go back and get these guys again so um we looked out I think no, it's, there's a lesson to be learned there and it's uh, if you're going to interview somebody know your shit and you'll get better stuff out of them did they um, mention did they mention what he thought of the, the remake he did a little bit he, he, mainly just the fact that he's still getting paid from the film because more people are watching it now because the remake had just come out um, I don't believe that I don't believe they're watching it now because of the remake I think they're, <laughs> they, they went the new, re, the, new, the new Robocop suit shall we watch it nah fuck that we'll just watch the old one so I, I suppose you're right <laughs> I didn't I didn't hate the remake as much no nah, it was alright it actually was alright I, I, I yes. think it, it obviously ended up something it wasn't supposed to be it was supposed to be like kind of balls to the wall gore fest um, mm. and it just got 12 aid like every other fucking film in the world mm. for me as um, soon as I saw the hand on the poster I was like no <laughs> the the, the, the scene, the, the scene where he, he's just a heathen, I say it along that. That's what I would see. That's I definitely like that. I'll, I'm going to admit, I was so jacked no matter what. I mean, I had my reservations and I was like, oh, I saw the suit. I actually went to New York that just in the you know the month before it came out and they had like a huge billboard so just to see my hero's name up on you know in giant lights was epic i'll admit (laughs) when i went to the cinema and there was no reason for me to do this i I fucking fell asleep halfway through (laughs) (laughs) i really did you you know i I just switched off and i'm not gonna lie i own a copy of it because i've got everything hell i've even got prime directives for god's sakes have you got the jetix series the animated stuff from jetix uh, is that the original one? It was two thousand. Oh, uh, oh no, I've got no. So I've no, I've got the original series from back in the day, Marvel, wasn't it? I think. Or the I'll send you a picture of the one I've got. Um, this oh, one well, came out around the same time. As... <laughs> I'm not, I might actually. It's I actually have the it's... of Alpha Commando somewhere as well. But yeah. let's. Oh. That, that, that the Jetix one came out. We'll take this. for people out there that are going. Why haven't you covered Prime Directives and why haven't you talked about the remake? First thing is that our team's not big enough, but then the second one is, which is the main, which is the main reason for it, is we sort of bottled it within the Orion Pictures years. So those original Orion Pictures years from like the mid '80s to the mid '90s, mm-hmm. that that for us is like the good stuff. That's the that that's the original sort of canon, if you like. Yeah. Everything else that came after, and plus if we start doing sequels and remakes and potential pending sequels and comic books it's going to be outdated, the documentary, in sort of five, ten years if there's another film that we never covered. So, like, the reason we've bottled it all up, those are the golden years. Um, it's to do with resource, but primarily it's it's because that's that's the stuff that we all, you know, hung on to as kids. I genuinely get excited if I, if I sit down to watch anything and Orion comes up at the beginning. I just get excited. I don't know yeah. what it is. I don't Because, I mean, the, not everything they did was as good as Robocop. But yeah. there's just something about that little that little O coming up and then oh, it's the same, as, same as the wee the wee the wee tri star horse running up like that. Does the <laughs> give you the same feelings? I have a couple of comments here in the 
in the comment section here. Um, Marv Dogger says, did you manage to get in touch with B Botten at all? And <laughs> completely unreachable. <laughs> Fuck off. Did you manage to get in touch with Botten at all? Is he completely unreachable now? I had so that, that was Rob Botina we sort of touched on earlier, but there was another story that we didn't talk about, which I'll let Chris talk about. So we had one in instance where Ed Neumeyer got a phone out and said, we'll try and I'll, I'll call Rob now because he's a friend of mine. And then I'll let Chris tell the, tell the other one. <laughs> yeah, the other one was interesting. I, <clears throat> I've only learned that story, I think, after the fact. I'm not sure I was there with the call. But for me, I remember um, Ed Newmeyer showing his – he was like, oh, I, I just had uh, Rob over recently. So to us, it's like, okay, he's still in contact. He's seen him recently. We're going to get him. It's fine. And, um, yeah, no, he was at my barbecue. There you go. I've actually got a photo of him. So we're, I'm chomping at the bit to see what he looks like now, those lovely long locks of his. And what he shows us, I swear to God, at first I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you just showing me a photo of Bone Jacker or Face Jacker? It was a guy <laughs> in a balaclava over his head with a pair of sunglasses on top. <laughs> same guy who didn't know that Judge Dredd existed. Didn't seem to know that Face Jacker or Phone Jacker existed. And that is the latest photo I can say I've ever seen of Rob Bodine. So, yeah, the, guy, the guy's like a Howard Hughes man. Like, you think, and you think he'd be able to make yourself a better mask? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we've got uh, James Cenobite says, the bitches leave, line will never, uh, will forever make me giggle. Uh, J-Mac, you read this one. <laughs> uh, this is from our lovely Janice. Janice tunes in every week to anything we do. She's a, she's a sweetheart. She said, I think the 80s was the best decade for movies. And nobody, I don't think anybody here would disagree with that. No. I think uh, we're all, if, are, are we all children in the 80s? No, Craig, no. you're old as fuck. I'm just, and, uh... <laughs> I, was, I was born in 79, so that was my... Ah, you still count. No, that, you still that count. Was my childhood. I was born ninety one, so I technically got the eighties, like a, a wee blanket, yeah. right? Um, um, Janice also says, "I love the gunslinger move he did with his gun before putting it back in the holster." By the way, <laughs> did any of you guys? He must have done it. So when I was in school, in the playground, we would get a can, right, and you stamp on the can so that it, it curves round your shoe, and I would yeah. walk and make the sound of the shoe with the Robocop. Yeah. yeah? I, did that, no. I also had these trainers called LA Gears that had a red light uh -huh. that would come on. Uh -huh. <laughs> I remember them. I remember them. Yeah. It's amazing how we all have the same idea. I did that and then put the, the aluminium can underneath it, which would light up as you walk and it would make the sound effects. Oh, Do you know, that, was, that was one bit. That was one bit of the dog that I found fascinating was how they did the footsteps, you know, with, with the timing chain. The timing mm -hmm. chain and a little bit of synth. I was like, that's, that's, it's, it's such an iconic sound as well. It's like, <laughs> It's just oh, that's right. fucking awesome. It was... Leg opens up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, takes me back. Sorry. Lee as well, who commented earlier, he brought that uh, truck time and chain along with him. Yeah. Ah. Just the other day, actually, we all had a go on it, um, and that, it's Eastwoods. Um, and I don't think I think he's zoomed in. You don't see his legs. He kind of had his legs akimbo, and he was just on. <laughs> She's just doing the sound, but uh, Steve was saying actually, yeah, he got he nailed like the pace into that. I mean, it's hard uh... in terms of just it's such an iconic sound. And again, the comment we got off Steve, which I'd never really thought about at the time, you know, making this is a bit like you know, when putting those initial questions together, it's like, cool, we'll talk about this, we'll talk about that, we'll talk about that. It's only after the fact you're like, oh, yeah, shit, we've covered everything, but it didn't feel <laughs> We were pushing the boat out, going like, oh, we're going to talk about the sounds. You know, it just, 
it naturally you're going to talk about it because they're so iconic. But it's only mm-hmm. after the fact that Steve actually said to us the other day, he's never really seen a documentary go into such detail about mm-hmm. the sound. And again, it's a testament to the film itself that it's got yeah. such yeah. and a lot of the stuff was recorded specifically for Robocop. So actually, there's so many things I've watched. Uh, I think even, what was it, Mission Impossible 3 I was watching a while back. And there's a scene at the start of that where they're using these turrets. And they've got this like these VHS sound effects. I'm like, it's Robocop. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just amazing how sort of iconic those sounds have become. And certainly if you know the film well, your ear always sort of twigs a bit when you're like, oh, Robocop, Robocop, Robocop. Robocop. <laughs> Every time, every time. Zoe Dunn says, why didn't Hophead come through? Gary? Uh, maybe it's money. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> basically, yeah, we, I think we spoke to his management team and they wanted quite a substantial amount of money, really. And obviously, when you make a documentary, the, the kind of mantra normally for a lot of people who get interviewed is they don't tend to charge because, obviously, they're celebrating a movie that they were part of 30 years ago. And if you did, if everybody charged, you'd literally have no budget left. I mean, Mm-hmm. And some of the and some of the some of the the fees that some managers will will ask you for is way out of our budget. We've been really looking at all of our projects over the last seven, ten years, ten years, I think it is now. Um, mm-hmm. It's very few and far between. We get asked, and then normally yeah. people like that chat there. So we, you know, we said we got an email out saying, obviously, you know, everybody else is contributing for free. You know, blah blah blah. blah. We're independent. Mm-hmm. Normally they go, oh, you know what? Actually, I'll do it. No, it's a no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, one of those. It's just, uh, see, see when he got back and said he's not going to do it. Did you go, fuck me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if, what, the most annoying thing is, is or why me? Why me? Yeah, but, why me yeah. <laughs> the, the annoying thing is for us is that this has happened a few times where we'll get that message saying no, and then when years later we'll we'll meet that person and they'll go. Why am I like the documentary? And you go, well, <laughs> fucking we, managers. Yeah, and they'll go, no one ever told me, and that's happened. Uh, the times it has where people have uh, we've been told no, and we've been we've been approached at a convention going, no, I was in. Why did you ask me to be in it? So like, well, we did, and they never got told about it. It's just a shame. And I think when we were doing this years ago, you could get in touch with people directly through social media. But again, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of changed a little bit now. That whole world's changed mm-hmm. where people, you know, don't even have the messages section upon their facebook's anymore mm. and, and twitter and stuff like that so it's got harder than it ever was um and, and unfortunately sometimes it's just management only yeah we have a few friends fortunate fortunate in many ways to be able to do the, the things that you're doing especially with this mm-hmm. but i think one of the unfortunate thing is the, the industry that you're tapping into is just so it's so full of bullshittery that yeah at least yeah it's oh, it, it just makes you feel a little bit sad you know it's a shame we have um yeah sorry go on no so i was just gonna say we have basically a friend uh, that's in the industry. We we're going to get a friend to do an acting job, and he basically says, "Like, look, just don't run this by my agent." You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that put, they're probably easier getting jobs rather than not working, right? Because a lot, of, especially just after COVID, yeah. a lot of Scottish actors were not working. Um, so the difference is, you know, well, we can go through your agent; they're going to charge us far too much, or you can come and do it, and we can give you this. And I think yeah, that's yeah. kind of the way of it. Eh? So, what were you going to say there, Gary? I was about to say, you know, you just see, I forgot. <laughs> no, I think I said, I think things have got, it's really weird, you know, when we started off doing these things 10 years ago, a lot of, a lot of these projects snowball because you, you'll get that one person on the cast and crew who has mm-hmm. the little, you know, a little, you know, phone book with everybody in there and they know everybody and then it just starts rolling. We had that with Fright Night with Tom mm-hmm. Holland. We had it obviously yeah. with, you know, with, 
the key Cenobites, you know, and Peter Atkins for, for a, a Hellraiser. Um, mm -hmm. But on this one, it just seemed to be, you know, everybody knew somebody. And we were quite, we were really lucky because a few people we tried to get hold of who we couldn't, that we then got through somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, Miguel, that was his through management team and, and they didn't want anything. Miguel wanted to do it, uh, you know, and sometimes that happens well. Sometimes the, the manager will go, you know, will actually tell the interviewee that we've been in touch. And then the interviewer will go, yeah, I'll go and do it. It's a bit of fun. You know, everybody else mm -hmm. is doing it. You know, and then that's why I think we were kind of annoyed with, with the whole Weller thing for a long time was because naively we were going, well, he's going to want to do it because Nancy's doing it, because Randy's doing it, because Ronnie's doing it, because Paul's mm -hmm. doing it. I mean, I'm a bit naive, but some people do would do it for that reason. They don't really left mm -hmm. out. <laughs> so you try, you know, it's always got angles to try and get these people. Yeah, you guys really are setting. Like, uh, do you ever stop and go? Well, wait, a minute. we've we've done some heavy shit over the last week. I mean, just what you were saying there. You know, oh, that was when we did that documentary for yeah. you know, you're so cool, Brewster. Oh, and then and then we done the one about. I mean, give yourselves a pat on the back. You guys are really setting the the standard for, <laughs> we, and it's, it is truly by the fans. We can tell. The weird thing is, so when you look back and say, we probably interviewed about five hundred people, probably <laughs> in in our projects. It's like out of what seven project stuff is still two to come out so mm -hmm. like, yeah, there's a lot of fucking people there there's a lot of hours of footage as well and when you look at you know i remember being back with leviathan there was about 60 hours of footage now we did ask mm -hmm. silly questions please we had 20 questions per person uh, 20 pages of questions per person well, just say, yeah it's definitely not 20 yeah. questions no no <laughs> 20 pages <laughs> uh, but you know and eastwood probably knows exact amount of hours for the for, for yeah. robo doc you know and what was it eastwood for raw footage on that 77 hours of, of interview. Yeah. Oh, fucker, man. Yeah. You know, we, we, uh... That's just one, right? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. So that is, we've got, uh, we interviewed 66 people in total for Robocop 1, and then we've mm. got, there's 106 people in total for the trilogy. I think it's a bit more now. It's probably about 106, 107. Um, and then we've got archive from, we've got, yeah, we, there's a few people in there. I won't spoil it for people that haven't watched it. There's a few surprises in wow. there for the people that, that we've got in. The doc, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of footage. So I need, I'll figure out how many we've got for the sequels in terms of hours. But yeah, there's another mm. forty odd people that are going to be popping mm. up in those sequels. You guys, you, like we, we start, we've we started our uh, production company kind of it, within the last year or so, and I just look at what you've been able to do, and I just think, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> knowing what it's like just to even make a short film for you guys to go through all that and obviously still yeah. work day jobs and stuff. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's not been really, really easy. That's why this is great working with these two. <laughs> and I think any trolls because you get them. This uh, is when we find out that Gary's play. younger than Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I am. But I think <laughs> probably. Um, they, we got uh, Joseph Mitchell here saying, "Do you think there will ever be any Robodoc merch, T-shirts, etc." Supposed to be, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there was there was some we, we there was some t-shirts. Uh, not sure if we were on a Kickstarter. I'm not sure. I think some went out at the very 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 beginning. We had the white t-shirts, didn't we? With the we've got to be very careful. Obviously, you know, we with the documentary now because obviously we've gone legit. We've had to obviously go through fair <laughs> use, fair, fair use and legals, which cost an absolute fortune. Again. Uh credit to Eastwood for the work there because we, we were shitting ourselves regards to legals. It was really hard with Pennywise legals. Yeah. We were like thinking, shit, this is going to be an absolute nightmare. But I think we'd 
already kind of had loads of discussions about fair use and about archives and stuff like that. And I think Eastwood kind of already was clued off when he was editing, going, "This is the mat. This is the right amount of time. This is obviously you know the legal limit we can use." So um, mm. any merchandise now we we probably wouldn't be able to do because obviously we're using an IP. We can get it. We can do it obviously in the documentary because we have obviously insurance and we have legals. But you can start producing stuff now. You know, would be a bit of a pain. I mean, we, you we could away. just get, you could just get your friends to bootleg it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys might not be able to. Yeah, yeah. We get I, don't I don't know if you've noticed, but this this is not an official print. <laughs> <laughs> we'd get caught. Our, our, my look would be, you know, we, we've just done a five-hour documentary on Robocop, and we've, you know, we've managed to go for all the legals and, and be, be absolutely safe. We produce one T-shirt, and we get fucking sued by MGM. <laughs> it just, it just seems. Again, it goes back to the bullshit of the industry. It's, it just seems so counterintuitive to to just clamp down on things like that so hard when you're trying to promote something that's just yeah. going to gear people towards. I mean, it's, the it's, it's it's rare that it happens. You know, there's, you know, we've we've in the last three or four projects had to go for illegals, but I don't think I've ever heard of anybody any documentary who has been done. I've heard of books who have been done by mm -hmm. especially bands, but never a documentary. I mean, there was that Star Trek. Film, what was done a few years ago, and that was never come out, which obviously was done by um, um, Paramount. They obviously uh, did a cease and desist, but we've <laughs> never done it. it doesn't, I don't think it happens because it, they've got to justify and argue what we're doing is damaging their product. And actually, yeah. you just, I mean, East was the same the other day on our private WhatsApp group. He was saying, you know, look at the amount of comments people are going, I'm going to re watch Robocop, I'm going to re watch the trilogy. That's mm. so we've got all that. And it's like that's the whole point of these things. It's to celebrate yeah. a legacy piece and, and they have people go and re-watch it and go when they watch it again, go, that's why it was done like that. Look at that Easter egg. So it's really difficult for people to to, to suggest that you were damaging their project, I think. Their product. Yeah. I, think I mean what's I'm interesting as well is a few years back we were approached by well, via somebody else, but MGM wanted us to be on the commentary for the Yeah, yeah. So we're actually, us three are actually on the commentary for the Arrow edition of Robocop, the new 4K that came out a couple of oh, years yeah. back. Robocop oh, 2, awesome. the Scream Factory edition, and Robocop 3. And, and MGM just stipulated you can't say anything bad about the sequels. So indirectly with MGM, but they, they came back with some notes for the first one on certain things that we talked about, which was to do with like the stunts, because we were obviously just talking about our experience making the doc. Um, yeah. And we talked about Russell Towery and the doc talks about getting injured and hospitalized and the fact that they made him go to work. We talk about like the pig sound effects that were uh, pigs being slaughtered for ah. nine. You're going to have to remove those lines. So we ended up re-recording a few extra bits for them. But it's weird because like, we've had some sort of relationship with MGM know we, what we were doing, where we were about for like years. Um, and obviously we've, we've done everything professionally. But yeah, it's, it was weird that they were like, you guys can kind of do it, but we're not going to acknowledge the fact that you're doing this document. It was, it was so a bit the way the show was the way the to us, didn't they? Yeah, apparently, because he's, what was he, a Sony executive, wasn't he? No, Sony. So Sony obviously with MGM, aren't they? Or were in yeah, the yeah, they were, yeah. He said, Oh, there's a memo going rounds, and we're like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, shit. <laughs> I remember we, I remember with Sony, with uh, Brewster, the documentary on Friday night, we kind of gained that because that was independent, we weren't going through a distributor, did it ourselves under the radar to a degree. <laughs> I remember getting an email from Sony Pictures, and the, the title was You're So Cool Brewster, and I yep. fucking shit myself. I thought, We're gonna. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I thought Eastwood's going to get sued here, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to get fucked. 
<laughs> and then on the email, they asked because they could they have the documentary for their wow. uh, steelbook release, and it was like, yeah, of course you can, of course you can. I remember messaging for going, I need a copy now. Why? <laughs> so they want it. You, so could you could you feel the check going back up and say Gary was like, you get me a copy of it full res, and I was like, yeah, yeah, have what you want. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, you know, they're like, you know, not gonna charge you for it, just fucking have it. But that what does it for us, and it legitimizes us, and actually it shows that yeah. the studios go, you know, this is really good. Let's utilize it, and we've been really looking at a lot Leviathan. That's been on fucking so many releases. Mm. Leviathan has been in terms yeah. of well, by the way. I remember when I was, I had got, was a year or two, I'd actually got the Blu-ray version of Fright Night. And I remember going, oh, brilliant, because I'm that yeah, guy that yeah. goes through all the... I remember I messaged you, I was like, motherfucker, you're on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, yeah we're, on the, we're, on, we're on the US one, the Sony one, and on the yeah. uh, Italian Eureka. one, on the Eureka UK. And then obviously the Leviathan is like Japanese, Italian, mm-hmm. German. Uh, it's just so... What it does, and it legitimizes us then, because they are obviously... Um, official releases which have obviously been yeah. licensed from the original studios mm-hmm. so they have to approve it it goes on there so they're proving yeah. the virus they're proving brewster obviously we get a little bit of a stamp of approval you know but then again now i think everything obviously he's done differently for us now because we have to when we deal with people on screen mm-hmm. box and kaleidoscope we have to go for a lot of legal um and, and particularly eastwood and chris have to go through that pain as well we learned that the I, hard uh, way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Any stories on that? <laughs> no, we just changed our lawyers. Basically, we kind of we went with on Pennywise. We were we were advised to go with the leading lawyers for fair use, and mm. um, in in America, basically, who write the law. And they were fucking hard. I mean, Chris will tell you, like they were really hard. Yeah. And then when when we then did the other documentaries, we were recommended to go with a guy called Ted. Uh, can't remember his name. That was his name. Ted, someone. Ted, the oh. lawyer. Uh, and he uh, he'd worked on everything. I mean, like Never Sleep Again, to Crystal Lake Memories, you know, mm. Scream, True Hollywood Story. I mean, everything he'd worked on. And he was really good because what I liked about Ted was, I think I'm sure Eastwood were Green and Chris because Chris worked with him on Hollywood Dreams, was that you could speak to him and he it was no legal jargon. It was just like straightforward black and white. You know, you can use seven seconds here. You can use it. And I think we're we're allowed to go back and forwards. Whereas on the first, on Pennywise, we weren't we weren't allowed to argue anything. And I, my argument was, it's some stuff you use is, is based on creative director, you know, and and, and we could justify the narrative and, and and why we're using it. We weren't allowed mm-hmm. to. And, and as I said, Chris will verify what happened on Pennywise. It was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> uh... I'll, ne- I'll never forget that. I think we were we're working to a deadline to get it at Sitges Festival. And Pennywise was mm-hmm. our first legit, if you want to call it, project. Mm. So we'd been working on this for like months, weekends, nights, and everything like that. And I think somewhere in the region of like 24, uh, probably about 48 hours before the deadline to get it over to this festival. Um, oh, good news. The, you know, the legal infos come back about the documentary. The bad news is, have a look <laughs> at that Excel spreadsheet. And all the boys were debating about it. And I, 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 was driving at the time so when i stopped i was supposed to be going to the cinema that night i look at the whatsapp i see the back and forth and basically what you do is you itemize everything across god knows how big it was for robodoc <laughs> but for wise being two and a bit hours you itemize everything that you've utilized that's third party in the documentary so there's somewhere in the region of about 1500 entries on this <laughs> excel spreadsheet and then it'll be like you know yellow might need a trim green yep good to go red You've got a problem. You can't use that. 
So when I opened this Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> it was like 60% red of the 100 <laughs> entries, photos, videos, you name it. So I stupidly was like, no, we can do this. We can do this. And I think I ended up pulling a, literally a 24-hour turnaround to just go oh. and fix everything according to this. And at the time, I think we felt like, oh, we've really compromised this project. For me personally, actually, it kind of gave me an opportunity to think outside the box. And I dare say some of the stuff we implemented after that ended up being a bit better. Like, oh, shit, didn't think to do that, you know. So <laughs> tricks, which I've obviously pinched off Eastwood in terms of like, oh, the TV screen thing and all use this and that. But that was bloody stressful. And I'm very oh, glad man. to say that we've never had to do that since, you know, when Ted came along. You know, sky was the limit, basically. You know, and mm. I kind of almost didn't believe him in a way. I think. For yeah, sure. yeah. No, no. Wait, out of all these forty thousand entries, just just knock off a couple seconds here. Like, are, are you sure? Uh -huh. So yeah, it was just such a luxury. But that first one, I'm like, I am never fucking doing this. I think, think, think we'd learned a lot as well. You know, on on what fair use was. And I know that Eastwood and me have had many conversations online where Eastwood did lots of research on fair use. Uh, and I know that at one stage it was a big issue. But I think for South was Eastwood obviously had a big concern, but I think mm. because he'd done all the research and he, and, and he'd he really kind of looked into it properly and looked at other documentaries, how they'd use things. Yeah, kind of was. I know it's still a pain in the arse, Eastwood, but I, I know when we get them, we got them reports back. I was messaging you going, "Fucking well done," you know. This, you know, it's only a couple of change. Wasn't it seconds here and there? Wasn't it? If I remember correctly, unbelievable. It was unbelievable how many. Well, again, I was I was educating myself throughout because it was one thing I was I was concerned about because fair use is different in different countries. So the BBC mm. had done a few documentaries and and fair one of their fair, fair use lawyers. I was literally going into like deep you know disclaimer territory and reading articles <laughs> and everything. And somebody had done a documentary about teen movies, and the whole documentary is this person narrating two hours of just teen movie footage, American Pie, Clueless, all the, like Buffy, all these like TV shows. And and I was like, how is that covered fair use? So I basically just went down a, a rabbit hole with fair use. But then when Chris and Gary had worked on these other documentaries, I was quizzing them about things. And so I was preparing it thinking, okay, if they're having that, I'll do it with rubber. So for a four and a half hour documentary, I got 27 notes, which is ridiculously good. <laughs> um, so yeah. I basically had to change 27 small things which was either reduce it by a couple seconds or you need to recontextualize this and add some content uh, some context underneath so basically how fair use works and i'm sure it'll change because it is um, very much a gray area, gray area in america and the uk is slightly different <laughs> is um they'll interpret if if it's within context if it's not derogatory you can show certain things for a certain um, certain duration, and the duration is not like a, 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 a an infant. Oh, you can it could, has to be ten seconds or it has to be five seconds. It it's dependent on how how that context is laid underneath it. And with Robo, mm -hmm. obviously, we cover every single scene, so that helped. But then I was sort of balancing because what I don't want, I'll be frank with, with with certain making of documentaries and a lot of documentaries that are, are out there. There's been a few in the last in the last few years. Not going to name any. But when mm. you've got somebody sat there going, and then the guy comes out the door, and then he turns right and he stabs the woman, and it's like you're doing that because you need to fill in a fair use uh, <laughs> gap, and it's literally nah. just, just explaining what's happening. I didn't want our documentary to ever feel like that, so mm. I had to balance that, and that was where sometimes we'd have to sort of go back and forth. But yeah, you don't want someone going, and then Robocop takes out his gut because it's just. <laughs> <laughs> We're explaining things and showing things, but it's not it's not explaining the actions step by step because that yeah. is just but yeah, we all know those documentaries that tend tend to do it and it gets 
get hold pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, we, we actually we've we've experienced it on just doing this podcast. It's like we'll be mm-hmm. we'll be asked by a distribution company, or whatever, to to cover a movie, and then we play the trailer and get a fucking copyright strike uh, <laughs> every fucking time. I always every been, time. I always remember being in LA with the lads, and we were shooting Robocop, Robodoc, <laughs> and we we're in the car. Adam, obviously Adam Evans, who's in the picture earlier on, he was driving. Mm-hmm. And I went, I remember saying, shit, we've got a notification on YouTube for our, our Kickstarter trailer. And it was from MGM. <laughs> and it was like, oh, fuck. And, and they, they'd monetized our trailer. They hadn't removed it. <laughs> that's right. And I went right. to the lads, we're fine. You know, they've monetized us. So it was like, <laughs> never like, shit, we're going to be closed down before we even fucking interviewed, you know, the first four uh, people. But uh, that, yeah. that worked. Out. We've just made you guys 20 cents on a virus <laughs> ad for that trailer. Yeah. We um we I can I, I I've navigated the seas of YouTube, so I kind of know what I can get away with now. Do you know what's funny though? So majority of the time, anytime we use something, it's always to promote some something that belongs to someone, and then like you say, they can then monetize that, which is fine. So I'm like, cool, it's yours anyway. Take it if you want to monetize it. It's funny though because we interviewed Nick Maley who created Yoda, right? The, the puppeteer behind mm-hmm. Yoda, and we filmed an interview with him, and he uses it on his channel. And I always go on it. I've, I've got that one wee inbox where I'm like, I could literally start taking money for his channel. <laughs> but I thought, I'm never going to be that guy. I'm like, he can totally use that. And, you know, the way I see it is that that's his payment for giving us the interview, right? He can yeah, yeah. It, but, yeah. But I'm always there just to, just, just if I ever want to do like a wee power throw thing, I'm like yeah. hovering over the click button. We like, do nah, that. I'll leave him. I'll leave him. <laughs> but as it's true, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to do. I think, you know, I think, so we with YouTube, what happens is they'll sometimes just flag our episodes because of what we say. You know how like there's a there's an AI algorithm now that that if someone tunes into the show right now and hits the captions, they can see what I'm saying literally yeah. as I say it. Right. So that then gets Fucking monitored, at, right? Pretty much. <laughs> and what happens is if we say a couple of words that that YouTube are like, uh-uh, the show gets flagged and can't earn. Not that we really earn much from it anyway, right? But it's principle. So I'll always fight. I'll be like, tell me what we done, right? And then what happens is you request a review and then someone will have to actually go through it. And I'm like, now you just watched our podcast. So I'm like, it's just, it's just, it's just fun and games. Eh? But usually nine times out of 10, we get away with it. And then there's some that we don't. And, and it doesn't tell you why. I'm like, well, well, what? What did we say? What did we violate? And it just, it doesn't tell you. So they're not quite, they're not quite transparent, so I think that's our we like well, we, you guys have to deal with that for well, a documentary. Become, well, we've mm-hmm. we've become victims ourselves now because we've had had to, you know we've had Pennywise on YouTube a couple of times. Aye. We've had uh, I know for a fact that fucking Robo Docs obviously been torrented because these people will come onto your own page. Are they? Oh, people come on to people come onto my own page. And go oh, I, I, you know I watched Robo Robo Doc today. I'm going where do you watch that? Ooh, secret. <laughs> well, so don't, don't answer me. that. Don't, don't, don't answer that. <laughs> my friend. Don't me. Yeah. If you want to cut your money, just ask me. You know what I mean? Don't uh, go into some torrent site. Uh, but we, we, yes, yeah, funny because we convicted ourselves, and a few times Pennywise yeah. appeared. The whole of Pennywise appeared on YouTube. We had to get it removed because mm. it really affected us personally, but it affects the people we work with regards mm-hmm. to distribution, and it just it just devalues yeah. the project really. Totally. Uh, and I'd rather people, you yeah. know, experience it in the right way. Uh, and Aye. buy a Blu-ray, which we don't get money. <laughs> well, from. by the way, yeah, we don't get money from. By the way, I spotted this earlier. So oh I yeah, yeah. that is a beautiful steel case. There's something about a steel book that really does something to me. Um, and yeah, I imagine been, that's what, 
well we've been lucky again with with, um, with screen box they, they are yeah. really into physical media and i think like we all are into physical media so they, absolutely you know, they didn't do a steel book funny enough with um pennywise which i don't that's right surprised they didn't i never even got a slip-off case i went straight into hmv and was like bastard i'm leaving a slip-off case i'm quite yeah my case. so now but i think with with robocop it's been released obviously on steelbook it's been released on uh with a o card and reversible sleeve as well UK's reversible sleeve and it's got is it four postcards isn't it Eastwood I think yeah it's got postcards an alternative version of our initial cover the first concept that's cover. yeah and then um yeah so uh, again I mean people are asking us about steelbooks in the UK but I don't think there's going to be a steelbook here but there's some nice kind of like O cards and whatnot so again we're really really lucky with both uh, Hollywood Dreams and with uh, Robo Doc that we've got mm -hmm. some nice physical releases coming out what's, no, what's uh, the sorry Sorry, mate. Yeah, go ahead, mate. That was the one part of the, the documentary that kind of surprised me was the, the kind of iconic poster for the first one. Like, I always just took it that that was somebody who'd kind of drawn that. And then to find <laughs> out that it's a photograph, you're like, ah. <laughs> Do you know, it's it's, nah, it's, awesome. it's just stuff like that that you just don't know. Nah. Um, I, I found that. I found that quite interesting. Mm -hmm. A few people have commented on that and a few of the interviews that we did. Because they're so iconic for posters, isn't it? It's like you know, everybody just knows what that is, and you know, that's why yeah. we've done the reverse version of it. Um, for the, with the original poster we had, which obviously now is resurfaced, which is great, but yeah, it's, it's just so iconic. The what's the, the plan for the UK release? Are you, are you doing any theatrical showings of this, or is it just straight out on streaming? And um, it's out next, it's streaming next week, the 2nd of October, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we went to a stream screen on Saturday for Hollywood Dreams, which was mm. Saturday. It was yesterday. Yesterday, yesterday. Jesus Christ! <laughs> and it's really weird because it's. I mean, I love obviously seeing it on a big screen. But I said to Chris after it's so strange. Sometimes I like documentaries at home. I like to watch it where you can just dip in and out and you have a cup of tea. You know, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're when you watch it on a big screen, it's kind of really weird because. Is it has it been filmed for a big screen? And we watched Hollywood Dreams Nightmare yesterday. And I, you know, we love that. Of course, it's our project. And I remember I sent to Chris yesterday, didn't feel right on the big, big screen. It was a lovely right. screen as well in, 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 a, yeah. in, a, in a screening. Um, where were we, Chris? Sheffield. Fucking hours of yesterday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think probably the problem with RoboDoc, because it's four hours or four and a half hours, no one's going to screen four and a half hours. I think I always cool. kind of hope in the, the years like oh fuck I can't wait to watch this on the big screen then when it evolved to like oh now it's four hours an episodic oh people sit down and watch a four hour documentary uh, right um, I mean the thing with this one in particular as well with Robodoc which I assume translates to all releases unlike mm -hmm. the other projects which are in stereo this one's been mixed in 5.1 can you correct me oh beautiful yeah no it's in 5.1 and that's it's like being in this i was in the mixer i was in the studio when i was doing the mix it's like being in a nightclub when that synth kicks in oh <laughs> man i have 5.1 in the cinema i also have 5.1 yeah, yeah. in my living I, I, I agree i sort of agree with these guys like you want to watch i, I like to just relax and be on my own with, with yeah. document with this sort of format like i don't tend to watch them with people if i'm honest um i like watching them on my own but i'd love to if we can get martin verhoeven to have his round again and we can watch <laughs> it with paul verhoeven martin and, and peter weller i'll be up for that that'd be fun that's for half the anecdotes we use about him <laughs> but, but a, good point, a good point is we own the theatrical rights the UK uh, and US. So right. anybody wants to do a screen of an episode, just let us know because we actually own, you know, we retain yeah. those as part of our deal. Obviously, we, you know, we, we don't have distribution rights regards to physical, but we have uh, theatrical. 
Mm -hmm. well, um, if anyone have... does do that, I will put together a 90-minute version of the four-hour doc. You can have that. There we go. Yeah, we ain't got 10 have... years. Crazy. Boom. We haven't got 10 years to wait for that, have we? <laughs> I don't, have to, do, I don't yeah. have to do any more rendering. It's literally just yeah. chopping, chopping stuff's uh, easy. It's when it's well, to, that's when it's hard. I have three cinemas I can run it in. Um, and cinema starts on a Friday it's to Thursday. A, so it's just a marathon, four-hour marathon. We shall so chat. We shall chat. Runs Friday to Thursday. Cool, wicked. Yeah. We can definitely squeeze you the dog. You, you could have a, a Dead Mouse um, festival. Don't put Absolutely. Leviathan. Don't put Leviathan on. But you, you know, Bruce, the Hollywood Dreams, this. You know, a nice weekend. Hey, that's, uh, not, that's not a bad idea. You could, you could sacrifice Eastwood on stage. It'd be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it's getting to it's getting towards Halloween. So right now we have we tended to do these wee events where we do Q and A stuff. Um, as soon as I can afford to get bring you guys up and put you up for a, a night, um, I, I'm I'm all for doing a, a dead mouse weekend or something. We're like quite that. flexible cool. and stuff like that, you know. We won't we won't try. Just you know, I won't charge. <laughs> these two tramps would. You know, I, uh, I, no, we, but... I, I think we just enjoy doing them. You know, so, again, it's not the ego. I think we just enjoy mm -hmm. uh, being around people. Yesterday in in Sheffield. This lovely girl came up to us at the end and started saying, you know, how much she loved the film and, you know, yeah. Robert. that's all we care about. And it's, it gets, sounds really kind of a cliche and bullshit. It's not. No, not and we've been through so much, like we all have in the last seven yeah. years and 10 years of all of knowing each other. We've met Eastwood nine years ago. Yeah. It's just nice to actually be with people who actually appreciate it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Doing, doing these has been great for us. I think it's been very, like, therapeutic for us because, mm. you know, it's, it is definitely therapy because. <laughs> We're sitting with people who are actually watching it and actually talking about it. And it's not yeah. ourselves and our egos. It's just the fact that people appreciate the work that's gone into it. And it's not just all the, the bullshit and trolls we've been suffering mm. for the last time many years. <laughs> oh, I think by the way, is, thanks for sending it to us. Yeah. <laughs> that's no, uh, I, what that's you're about, I, I forgot to say earlier. The YouTube <laughs> I think I know something <laughs> yeah, um, The thing is, though, like what, what you guys offer, basically, is you offer in-depth love for different projects, like I don't know anyone else apart from yourself, Gary and Chris, maybe Eastwood, that that loves Return of the Living Dead. Like I don't know many people that go, oh, "That's a class oh, film." Yeah, like you know I mean, got me and Gary together, wasn't it? Right, because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I've it's never seen it. I've never what? seen this movie. No. More brains. Like <laughs> I've never seen it. Really oh, strange. Like, it's, it's a strange Return of the Living Dead because it's like it kind of again. I'm, I'm going to be very very. Very short rant now. I, I love it, loved it for years. Now, Kevin, suddenly, Kevin make him big. He's going to rant, make him big. Suddenly, obviously, Return of the Dead's got some marketing behind it, and obviously, with some distribution, mm -hmm. and, and there's fucking t shirts and posters coming out. And <laughs> you know, you know, it's when something's yours. You know, remember mm -hmm. you were a kid. I mean, some people say, Major me roughly in here. Star Wars was ours as a kid because no one gave a mm -hmm. shit about Star Wars from 87 onwards, no one cared about it. 99 yeah. hits, suddenly you go walk down a, a, an aisle in Tesco and every single fucking there's, there's beans of Phantom Menace and there's cereal. <laughs> yeah, now suddenly Star Wars is everybody's, but for a long time it was very kind of like it was a, a very small community of people who mm -hmm. would actually be honest and tell people they liked it. And I think mm -hmm. the same button for me to return to Living Dead, you know, for a very long time it was very small, kind of little kind of fan base. Very few people watched, everybody loved Romero's Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Yeah. And now suddenly you can get fucking you can get like hundred different t-shirts or turn them in dead. You can get yeah. Like, you know. No, I, no. It's, yeah. 
it's basically like when you you love a band that's local and then they make it huge exactly, and everybody's like, I yeah. love it. And I'm like, fuck off. There's just <laughs> even though I've got no right to really dislike them, I'm like, fuck you. It's like an instant hate, isn't it? It is it's strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit like it's a bit like our documentaries. When they were like little, no one saw them. They were brilliant. Now people watch them. We hate them. I think if these if these VHS copy of Return of Living Dead was always worn out at the same bit. I bet it was. <laughs> 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 I wish I got the reference. I'm sitting here laughing. I'm like, what the fuck uh, are you talking about? Watch it, watch it. Yeah, take Ghost is new if on those certain moments where it's like, is that just being re-round played and paused constantly? Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is J-Mac actually said that very line to Carolyn Monroe. Um, we met, you know, the, the Bond lady. Yeah. She was in, well, we met her and um I, I kind of I do this thing where J Mac will tell me something. Oh, we're going to meet her. Oh, mate, I loved her. And then we get in front of her, and I'm like, he loved you like proper. <laughs> and uh, she was I'm like, she was literally my first crush. And Kevin fucking told her. Like, Thanks, man. That was that was Ooh, the things that he used beautiful. to do over you. <laughs> yeah, that. Tape. He told her that my VHS had gone green at the bits that she was in. So yeah, that was I, that was sorry. a movie called at, at the Earth's Core. If you've never I seen the Earth's Core, it's fantastic. It's I quoted. Fantastic. There's literally a wee documentary out there about how this podcast came to be, and he says it and and <laughs> there. So I was just quoting. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, do you want to see my impression of ET? <laughs> There you go. I don't know where that came from. Anyway. Unbelievable. Joseph Mitchell says, I know this is a big ass because the boys put new edits onto the Arrow release, but any chance of Blu-ray releases of Leviathan and You're So Cool? There is. I've... Yeah, Brewster, he's, <laughs> Brewster was released on, on Blu-ray. Um Aye. We still got copies. We take it. Every time we go to a show, we got limited amounts of copies left. Every time we go to a show, we will take it with us. Brewster, uh, probably only about probably 30, 40 left now. But again, because it was done independently, obviously we we're limited to how many we could do. Um, I don't think anyone's going to be interested, obviously, regards to distributor redistributing it as a, as a whole documentary, because obviously it's been out for so long. Uh, someone mm. might be interested one day. I know that um, obviously it's been on Shudder and it's been on Screenbox. Uh, but in terms of Leviathan, I mean, Chris hates me for this, but there's always been a little niggling thing about Leviathan for me where I kind of, I know it could have been better. And better. so, and it's the 40th anniversary in a couple of years' times of the first film, so I'm going to convince Chris that we're going to re-edit <laughs> Leviathan and then film a few extra interviews of people we didn't get or ones where we got we didn't re and we didn't like the interview because it was outsourced. <laughs> and really, and re-release that I think, and, and really tiny it off because it's it, it looks great. So I think Leviathan does. I think some of the some of the shots still look great. Mm. Done interviewees, and it's like yeah. it's just it's yeah, one we, of those niggling yeah. things. I think Leviathan, where we didn't have involvement in the initial edit. I, I'll just go on the record. I think I've said this before. I have never watched our Leviathan. I've got the DVD, the three disc <laughs> edition. I don't think it's like I was there. I saw the interviews. And to be honest, that initial edit as well was primarily talking head, talking head, talking head, talking head, talking head, talking head, talking head. You look at where we've got to now with the Robodoc, the bells, the whistles, the pace of this and that. I just I don't think I ever had the tolerance to watch it. And I know we did the that was the first gig we did with you, I think, wasn't it? Eastwood we did a recut of it for the arrow edition. So from like nine hours 
for one and two down to like uh, two and a half, three hours, something like that for the yeah. arrow cuts. And we just started adding wet. We'd kind of cut our teeth a bit with where Fright Night was going and implemented mm -hmm. that on Leviathan. Okay, yeah, more cutaways, more this, more that. And then Eastwood threw in uh, some animations. That was the first time I kind of think I saw like, oh my God, look at those cool parallax animations, mm -hmm. you know, where, oh my God, the person's doing this. Um, <laughs> I think we definitely could do a lot better with that now, but, you know, let's, let's put that to bed for the moment. Eastwood, <laughs> Eastwood, Eastwood. do you want to re-edit Leviathan? Yeah, see, Eastwood's going to do it for me. Gary breaking up, have we lost Gary? <laughs> well, there was no, an answer. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll have a chat with Master privately. Don't worry. Uh, hey, I mean, if there's any any better reason to repackage Leviathan and really give it, it'll be like um, what was it? Was it James Gunn that remade? Wasn't it James Gunn? It was what's his face? Uh, oh, Batman versus right. Superman. Yeah, Snyder, that's Snyder, yeah. the Snyder cut. Um, we just we, we just learned so much, and you know, genuinely, we were really green. We we had a really we had a nice editor, Nick, who still works with us, uh, mm -hmm. who's been brilliant over the years. Nick, he edited obviously Pennywise, he's been Prince Academy, but we had a really shitty director uh, on on Leviathan. You know, he, I'm not going to say his name, but. Uh, I'll just I'll just check on him. No, he just didn't, he just didn't understand what we wanted to do. You know, you know, and he didn't understand the film, and it, it was just a, a very basic gig for him. And obviously, you know, bringing Chris on board yeah. very early on, uh, very sorry, middle midway through, regards to uh, as a creative element of it, that kind of reshaped over the years, and obviously reshaped obviously under the Viathan cut. But you live and learn on these things. You know, mm -hmm. we've we've been through so many people over the years. In terms of crew, and the fact us three are still here now, and so and Adam obviously, and you know, and it's why I'm thinking of some names really quick. I want to say some because because I'm going to forget because people we've worked with on Robocop and obviously our project have just been amazing. You know, Mikey Prez, our producer in the states, has been brilliant. You know, in terms of obviously he was helping obviously get everybody on board, studio space. Adam Evans is part of our company, been with us since day one. He's a co-director of the company. Without he's the backbone, really. He's the quiet one, but. Logistically, none of this would happen financially without him obviously manoeuvring stuff around. Hank and Lawrence, who are producers, who again, we give them a lot of stick. They get a lot of obviously our, our frustrations, but without them, we wouldn't have had a deal with Streambox. We wouldn't have got the four hour episode. Uh, and then there's obviously people I'm going to forget John Campo Piano, Sean Shaver Hensley, Garth Gibson, blah, 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 blah. Everybody knows who they are, but it is a team effort. And we always end up being the ones on the face of some of these kind of things. Mm -hmm. But you know, and, and it's really important that these guys are, particularly Eastwood and Chris, because they're directors, but there's so many people who work behind the scenes. And, and Eastwood's got a team as well that he works with who have been mm -hmm. brilliant, obviously, on, you know, supporting him in regards to the editing, uh, you know, bringing him on board quite last minute, really, and they did it. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a massive... And you can probably see from our credits, when you look at Leviathan, yeah. you, see, you see credits, you know, the us, and then when you get to... <laughs> Uh, Brewster and Brewster, you get to um, RoboDoc and Hollywood Dreams. There's all these people we bring on board now, and obviously, yeah, it's right. support us. it just becomes a massive kind of like family. You really, struggled in it with Leviathan. It's like, well, we need end credits and we need well, to wasn't, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Wasn't it? On... Sure it's like one name every 30 well, seconds. Leviathan as well, but the director had uh, did a few things on there allegedly. And he gave himself different names for each kind of bit of work he did. 
because uh, he told us <laughs> Alan Smithy. You, you couldn't have the same name repeated, and also because of the unions, he's not in a fucking union. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that sounds amazing. Cut not all of that bit. Cut it all on a live <laughs> shit. Oh yeah. Live. The live. <laughs> So, so, yeah, so uh, we know that obviously there's more to come from Ro- RoboDoc in regards to seasons. Mm-hmm. What else have you got in the cars? Have you got anything else burning in the background that you Police want to tell Academy. us about? Oh. <laughs> yes, we've got Police Academy. So that's a four-part mm-hmm. series uh, which comes out hey, for the hey. anniversary next year. So we've just um, we actually interviewed somebody the other day for that, which we would never interview any more people for it. And someone came out the woodwork, uh, and he's been squeezed in. So that's being edited by Nick, and then again that'll go then to Chris for a refine, like he normally does. And obviously, I'm sure I'll be approaching Eastwood for some motion graphics as well. Where he looks proper happy about that. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gary, he's gone. He's gone. We can't hear him. Oh, is he? All oh, right. And then, then, um, obviously, we've got Night of the Demons, which uh, it's a very strange project for us, but we've just just literally outsourced that to be edited, uh, and that will go to, hopefully, the screen box that will go to. Mm. And then we've got some ideas, some projects as well. We've probably talked about that before. We've got a series concept we're we're looking at. Uh, What what we've said is that when when Roblox's out and and Hollow Dream is out, so by about, by about November, December, when everything is done, regardless of physical media and that's done, then we're all going to sit together and have a conversation about what's next and how we're going to fund that. We're not going to kickstart over again on Indiegogo. Obviously, we're doing, we're doing private investment. Uh, and then hopefully we'll have a plan for about January, February time to go and shoot in the summer. I think we'll probably get some outsourcing done prior to that probably. Uh, and then obviously go out ourselves for a couple of weeks, do some filming on some of the bigger names, and then hopefully then next next year. So the next two three years, we have got a plan. Obviously in terms of Police Academy, Night of the Demons, a couple of mm-hmm. new projects, and obviously uh, seasons two and three of RoboDoc as well. Wow! Yeah. So Never ending story documentary. No. <laughs> Are you, are you sure, Gar? Are you sure? You, you you seem like you were you had to think about that for a second there. Positive. <laughs> I don't know. Eastwood looks like he's got a glimmer in his eye there. Eh? Never in the story. Oh, yeah, that one. I'm interested in that one. Um, uh, hey, it was the wolf. The wolf in that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Jesus, that wolf <laughs> and the, the trailer with the horse. Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, that fucking yeah. traumatized everybody that's seen it, man. Kids movies were different in the 80s. Kids movies were meant oh. to fucking destroy your brain. Yeah. And Matthew uh, actually gave me this, which is a prized possession. It's oh, one of my wow. favorite all-time films. Wasn't um, Jack yeah. Black in Never Ending Story? Yeah, three. He was one of the number number three. He's one of the nasties. That's three films of that shit. There yeah. is, there is, uh, and that's the one where the the big rock monsters like three times, like three times oh, less God, the yeah, size. Yeah. Did your motor running? Did you know Jack Black was in Demolition Man as well? What's he's that? Really, uh, yeah, he's got blonde. He's got blonde hair, isn't that? Zach? He's got some weird oh, yeah, little yeah. hair, dude. But he's like yeah, one, yeah. Of the, 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 one of Dennis Leary's boys. Yeah, yeah, he was one of Dennis Leary's boys. He was also yeah, in yeah. True Romance. He was a, uh, he was the wee guy in the the yeah, cinema. What do you, you call the guy in the cinema that shines torches in the face of people uh, that are shagging? An usher. Usher. That's the guy. Maybe uh, we should do a documentary on what films Jack Black's been in. <laughs> he, he, like, he was like dressed as like a reggae as well in um, uh, what's he called? Oh, no, I didn't that's the yeah, yeah, yeah. second one, yeah. He Bruce, Bruce Willis shot his arm off and that jackal. The jackal, the jackal was better than anybody said it was. By the way, the jackal uh, was awesome. Anyway, right, that's enough right. about that. 
<laughs> so uh, again, <laughs> thanks, like. thanks to you, uh, Gary, for sending that to us. Um, it was a, a privilege to see it before the official UK release, and um, I don't know, I always look forward to everything that you've got coming up, man. It, it was it was an absolute blast. Well done to you guys for of course yeah i just um, um i just saw uh, both gary and chris read that comment and their face lit up <laughs> no chris wouldn't chris wouldn't know. we are we are we are we are actually filming a, a mockumentary on uh what chris isn't i asked him the other day and he kind of he swayed away from the conversation when i was talking to him about it um on, on dark day just finishing it off at season one but i do read genuinely i might be saying this now because because of that come up i think we need to look at a narrative for us as a team really mm-hmm. something because i think we've done stuff with the ditties and obviously with a separate team doing that but obviously when we did stuff even for hollywood dreams and we did only a couple of little bits it, it felt really good to be back working with chris on that element we did obviously the opening segment of hollywood dreams and we did yeah. a bit obviously with some kind of like b-roll and it just was nice to be, yeah it just, not, it just <laughs> yeah yeah it's just really nice to do it i think again and you know i think again everyone's evolved over the years regards to their their, their their skills and obviously their mm-hmm. understandings. So I think, yeah, I'd like to do something. And I think once we get all these docs out of the way, it's what what can we do narrative? But also in the next projects we do, mm-hmm. can we put some more narrative stuff into the documentaries as well? Some B-roll. I think we could have done a lot more of Hollywood Dreams if we had the time. And actually, yeah. you know, that was last minute. We could have done lots more on that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so Leah, looking forward to doing something like that. Brilliant. Um, Joseph Mitchell says, "I honestly think you guys could make an amazing feature film if you had, if you could find the backing. Um, I, you guys are a, a dream team. You, you're basically, I mean, every fan that that loves any type of film would, and could make a documentary. You guys are pretty much doing what they would do. You do, you're doing what I would do." Time. Kev, you and me can make yeah. the documentary on the making of RoboDoc. That's, yeah. that's our next project. You don't want to do that. that. To be honest, I really do. <laughs> at times throughout the course of like even the aftermath and watching the uh, footage, you're like, fuck, actually, yeah, we had a bit of blood, sweat, and tears on this one. <laughs> and we fried yeah. our balls off in the Dallas as well. So it, it, the, parallel. The, 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 parallel, the weird thing parallel that is, it's like, you know, we talk about something like RoboCop and that all the stress went into that and like Return of Dead being the same, you know, and what what happens at the end, you know, the gold at the end of it, isn't it? And I think, you know, it sounds like, again, cliche, but a project like RoboDoc has been exactly the same kind of parallel, as Chris said, because we've yeah. had lots of blood, sweat and tears. There's been lots of debates, lots of arguments. It's got really heated. But the whole time that's happened is because everybody wants the best. No one's fucking each other yeah. over. Everybody wants the best project. And actually, all that was worth it because look what we got in the end, you know, mm-hmm. all that arguing and fighting and and questions and debate look what we got you know we're all really proud of it i think the feedback's been amazing from it um so just it's just it's just perseverance isn't it just patience of each other i think we we all do things differently now i think we all talk to each other differently than we did before (laughs) because i think we respect each other a lot more than we used to but i think you know it's kind of it just it just shows that again you know that you stick to things and the journey you go on and you know you create something and I'm, i'm really really proud of this project yeah. yeah, I mean, I think if if every documentary filmmaker could stick to the the formula that you guys came up with for this, I think I, I would find so many more documentaries so much more engaging. So, mm-hmm. well, I hear was one coming out. What's that? I hear someone's doing a, a dissection of, of of scene by scene, and somebody else's. I'm not sure who it is. I'm here. Somebody's doing what? Maybe someone's copying us. Oh, I'm being who? an arse. I'm being an arsehole there. I'll tell you off. off <laughs> 
Just is, it, is it Chris? No, 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 no. Just very, yeah. no. We 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 announced obviously uh, what what obviously Rebel Up was. It was a scene by scene dissection of a mm-hmm. movie. It was you know it's revolutionary kind of like new documentary style. Some of the amps announced they were doing one quite similar about a week after. Um, on Robocop? Oh, no, it's something to do with a spaceship and aliens. I don't know what it is. It's something. Um, anyway, uh... we'll, talk, we'll talk about it off camera. <laughs> right, so hey. make sure you make sure you guys all hang around for a few, at least a few yeah. months after we... we uh, so you guys are going to forget to hit the stop button. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. Oh, the, no. the amount of people we could get in trouble by stuff that they've told us off here, and we'd never do oh, it. No. So, no, it's, not at all. It's, it's all good, man. Um, I think you no, guys have seen before this interview even started. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has, it has been an absolute pleasure. And guys, you're always welcome back on. Um, this is a an open door for you guys. Nobody else like Namal Jung for everyone, but for you guys especially, we love everything you do and we'll support it. And if you were doing a Kickstarter, we definitely would put our money where never again. Let's not lie, we need to ask our wives first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's go. not go there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing, and a credit to you guys. You guys look at from from when we first met, maybe what five years ago to to now how much you guys have progressed Age. and really uh, taken over the space. <laughs> no, but you have, you have really taken over the space. So the next five years, just, I mean, the sky's the limit. It's, uh, and we look forward to following absolutely everything you're doing. It was great to to have both Chris and Eastwood on for the first time. Um, again, like I says, come on, Eastwood. We need to do a synthwave episode where we talk about our favourite synth artists because oh, I feel there's, yeah, yeah. there's more to, to tap into on that one. Absolutely. But um, guys, um, looking forward to the, the physical media because I'm a, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a fiend for a great piece of physical media. Um, uh, so I'll definitely be getting that. I'm still going to look for a slip off case for my copy of Pennywise, the story of it. But, you know. Yeah, I don't have a copy of that, Gary. Really? Oh, no, shit. no, no. <laughs> Gary never sent me. I went to I, 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 I was a proper friend. I went. I went to HMV and bought it the day it was oh, released. Send me 50 oh. quid and I sent it to you. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's cheaper than HMV. It <laughs> <laughs> hasn't got a limited edition slip card like we haven't uh, for the oh, year. Well, it's true. Uh, fair enough. Hey, if it's worth it, <laughs> damn right. <laughs> um, but I encourage yeah. everybody yeah, to, to go and support you guys over at cultscreenings.co.uk. Um, and oh, well, you can't really back. No more Kickstarter. Eh? We'll follow everyone that you can see here. Eastwood, yeah. Alan, Chris Griffiths, and Gary just Smart. Leave, just leave reviews. You know, if you like what we do, please just you know, talk about it. You know, go onto Amazon. Yeah. Leave some nice reviews there because it makes a difference for us, really. Does, you know, and same mm-hmm. as Intimate Movie Database as well. You know, put your reviews on there and, you know, it's mm-hmm. for us. But it makes a huge difference when we've marked our other projects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you don't no, like totally. it, still leave, still leave a review. I mean, it doesn't really it doesn't <laughs> no. make any difference. But it's always because there's yeah. always arseholes out there. Yeah, so, well. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, only good sure. if you like it. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, guys. And thanks. Thank two, hours, two hours of show. Thank you very much. And yeah. again, and please hang around. The hang around for a few minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Take it easy, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yeah.